What's going on, family? This is your man, K to the second letter. I'm sitting here next to... I mean the dream. I mean the dream, Hudson. And we are here on Southside Rabbi. Now, this episode we actually recorded a little while back with uh, Dr. Neil Shinvi. And this was before everything started happening yes, with CRT yes. becoming like a mainstream idea. If you look at this episode, it's going to be on our old set. We are bringing this episode out the vault straight to y'all. Yeah. So we hope that you enjoy it. Yeah. And God bless you. Peace. Okay, okay, yeah, Southside, 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 yeah, that's where I spend downtime, yeah, I mean it neither rap, I check the podcast for the smoke, yeah, I don't wanna fight with you. What's going on, family? It's your man, K to the second letter. Uh-huh. Know you seen me the first time, but the second gonna be better. Uh-huh. Call me the reverend with the brethren. Give me the bread, but hold the... Levin. Oh, boy, I got rabbi rhymes, boy. boy. I got as much bars as the heaven got stars. S- talk to him. Flow out of space, which mean I hail from Mars. Talk to him. This is Southside Rabbi. Yeah. And you are tuned in. Yeah. Southside. You already know the deal. I won't sin. Ooh. I believe in perfection. And if you sinning, then you in the wrong direction and probably not elected. (laughs) But if you get Jesus on your side, you'll be protected. Put the word around your neck like a A necklace. necklace. Wake up and get to it in the morning like it's breakfast. Breakfast. With some Uh, eggs, bacon, and a cup of Nesquik. (laughs) Doing it big like I'm Texas. All right, okay, okay, okay. okay, okay. okay. We're sorry, y'all. Yeah, you know. This is, this is actually Southside Rabbi. <laughs> and we are here. Yep. For your joy. Yes, we are. Your growth in Christ. Yes, we are. And your love for your neighbor. We want to increase that. We want you to be a better lover of your neighbor as a result of listening to this podcast. Is that too much to ask? I mean. Hallelujah. Amen. No, it isn't. But I do have to ask for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. For I have mentioned a dignitary with so little respect, oh honor, and prestige. So let me rewind that back. This is Southside Rabbi, and I am here with the illustrious, industrious, mm. degree under the armpit, so he's never mustrious. Wow. Wow. It's not even a word. This man single-handedly solved the crisis of oxygen, water, and ashy knees. Oh this man, among other men, but we confuse him for an angel. Hold up. I mean, the dream machine. Oh my gosh. Who we deem supreme right underneath Elohim. No Hudson. way. What? Underneath? You're underneath okay. Elohim. Elohim. Not Paul, not Mary, not... No, 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 no. Oh. Paul, Paul and Mary who? Okay. Paul and Mary who? They ain't no... They, they, they people. No, I'm talking about they people, cuz. He's not a people. They he a person. They ain't know I mean. He ain't a people. He, he a, a person. He a person. Let me tell you about this guy. <laughs> Let me tell you about this guy who's not a people. He's a person. He, oh, talk to him, brother. This man... This is why I love my birthday, because people sing to me. Come Let on. Let me tell you, man. This guy, we are talking about the illustrious Uh oh. 
the the erudite. Ooh, I don't know what that means. The 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 Christian hip hop connoisseur. Uh. The theological luminary. Oh. Uh. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. If you've never watched the movie Goodwill Hunting, that stars Matt Damon, who solved a huge, incomparable math problem that a that a top-rated math professor put on the board and left for his 40 students to solve and they all tried it and they all failed this man matt damon came in after class with a with a mop and a bucket and a bucket and he solved this this enormous math problem in about 15 minutes mm. while eating a sandwich on his lunch break <laughs> If you do not have that type of mind, then you cannot be compared to the man that I'm about to mention to you right now. Wow. If you do not have a degree from MIT, Brown University, Princeton, <laughs> if you have not gone to Dartmouth, you can. if you're not in the Skull and Bones fraternity, you can even hold a candle to the man that I'm about to introduce to you right now. You win. You win. You win today. Let me tell you something. If you are not of a mind like Cornell West, whose mind is so sharp that he doesn't have to care about his hair or his suit. Ow, Lord. When he gets on CNN. That's wrong with Cornell West's head. What time do I have to think about my hair and my suit when I have a mind so sharp? In fact, it's precisely that I don't care about any of those things. That my mind is the way that it is brothers and sisters see see you don't see brothers and sisters you you, you, you don't understand yeah, brothers and the sisters. magnitude brothers and sisters you don't understand the profundity that this man brings to a discussion deep i mean deep i am talking about one of the greatest minds that you have seen in the 21st century i'm talking about one of the illest realest in the word of little scrappy from 2003 trillest people that you have ever experienced in your life i can't do this i can't i'm talking about the supreme dream i'm talking about realizing mlk's vision when he got to look over the promised land and said i might not get there with you okay bro. but the person that he saw over that promised land was this man that i'm about to introduce <laughs> to you right now the be the beatific vision i'm talking about I'm talking about Kevin Elijah Smooth Burgess. Wow. Please, everybody, do not clap for me. First of all, you clap can't clap for this you man's can, mind. You clap cannot for, clap for this a man. This is what goes First on of all, in this man's like head. Kevin Elijah Burgess, you cannot clap for a man of this magnitude. Your claps are not worth anything. <laughs> What about church clap? If, if 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 you tried to clap, then the social the the social capital would say insufficient funds. <laughs> Stop! Stop it! We got to do the episode. I mean, he can do this all day. I've seen him do this all night. So let before. me tell you something, my let me tell you something, my brothers and sisters. If you do not understand what I am saying to you, you should consider drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Your sober that, mind is dangerous. You, you, need, you, you need a glass of wine that is, on the hour. I'm talking about this. Every is, hour. 
So, yes, here we are. I mean, and KB. I'm not even going to try to introduce you no more. Like, that I, was. No, I, there's <laughs> no point. And you just made it. That's not written down. I just got this carried away. Man, just. I just got carried away. It just away. comes from the soul. So, uh, I am point five of Southside Rabbi. And uh, we uh, are. We are encouraged, blessed, and excited to bring you another episode where we are talking about a hot topic today. Woo! The topic is so hot. We got a hot one for you. We got one for you. We got a beautiful one for you today. We got a beautiful one for you today. When when uh when our program director and videographer and editor and cameraman y'all know what we and doing. friend right. Derek Webb mm-hmm. talked about today's episode. Yeah. And he said that we're doing it on critical race theory. I had to handle the phone with oven mitts. First of all, when he told me that we were going to do this episode on critical race theory, it was the, that heated, the bro. The screen on my phone cracked. It cr- Look, can you, you see that? That's because of this episode <laughs> right. today. Right. So uh, we have what some would consider probably the most prominent Christian voice... Right, um, on the issues on of the issue race. of critical race theory. I mean, if, if if he had articles out about this, they would go platinum because everybody is sharing them. Right. Everybody is talking about them. Everybody. My man is... has no problem selling out shows. <laughs> you feel what I'm right, saying? Right. He, he, he's these two in arenas. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he is a perspective that we uh, appreciate on many different levels. There's also a lot of things that he shares that that we struggle with and, and right. have pushback for, and we mm-hmm. hope in this conversation to reach some of that. But let's just say it from the top. There's so much more that can be discussed. <laughs> right, right. So we will do what we can, but we are pleased to have such a powerful man of God. The man loves Jesus. He loves his family. Homeschool extraordinaire. Uh, Princeton grad. Holla at your boy. He's a scientist. PhD from you UC Berkeley. You heard yeah. me? You heard me. Let's give him a warm Southside Rabbi welcome. So today, everybody on Southside Rabbi, we are bringing to you. Yes. Big Daddy. <laughs> Neil. Hey. Max Horkheimer Shimmy. No, I was just joking. <laughs> We're bringing Neil. Well, we have Neil Shimmy with us today, man. Yes, um, make some noise for our yes, homie please. Neil. And I'm so glad to have him. For those who may not know Neil Shimvey, um, you grew up in Delaware, correct? That's right. Yeah, so you grew up in Delaware. You did your undergrad at Princeton University. Yep. And then you went on to UC Berkeley where you earned your PhD, correct? Yes. And that was in theoretical chemistry. Correct. Right. This okay. is doctor. Doctor Neil Shimby. Do you introduce so yourself all, like that? If somebody says, you call you by your, your first name, you say, oh, excuse me, it's doctor. Do you know how much schooling I have done? I didn't go to, to school for all those years for you to just call me regular Neil. <laughs> It's the other way around. People call me doctor. I'm like, so no, 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 no. Call, call me Neil, please. Ah, see, he's humble. Yes, he's humble. Because yes, yes, yes. in the streets, they call him the homeschooling Don <laughs> and the big brain biochemist. That's what they call him in the streets. So, yes, yes. Folks. No, I, hey, I have a street name. You know what, what is it is? What? The Muffin Man. The Muffin Man. The Muffin the Man. Muffin man. How the did Muffin you get man. that? I, won't, I, I will not tell you the story, okay. but I, I have a street name. That's all I'm saying. Law of limits. The Muffin, the muffin man. man. That sounds dangerous. <laughs> If somebody <laughs> come around, if your street name is the Muffin Hold Man, hold on, the, if the yo, the Muffin hey, Man is coming. Do you know the Muffin First Man? First of all, <laughs> the Muffin Man, <laughs> the so, Muffin Man, <laughs> very nice. But yeah, so um, and you um, now you're in North Carolina and, and you homeschool your kids now, correct? Yes, yes, that's awesome, man. 
Man, we're glad to have you, man. It's been a long time coming. I actually wanted to get you on the podcast sooner. I know that we talked about it a while ago, um, but we we finished the first season of the podcast, and then as we started doing the second season, I was like, you know what? We need to get Neil on um, uh, because we we definitely want you to come on, and and we want to discuss issues of, of of critical theory and the church and and all of that because as me and KB, who are two uh, Christians who are very passionate about issues of justice and uh, and Christians in general having a really solid social ethic to deal with injustices. Mm. Um, we thought it important to to actually take on you know um, this issue because as we have sought to talk about these things, of course we have been called critical theorists, we've been called cultural Marxists, we've been called, uh, I mean, there's a whole lot of Everything. liberals, leftists, yes. a- anything that you can think of, we've been called it communists, whatever. Um, so, um, but we wanted to have you come on today so we can discuss the uh, just just critical theory in general, right. um, what you think about it, the reasons that. You think that it um it has posed a threat to the evangelical church, as a lot of people have have um have also said, um and yeah. So before we get started, um even when we talk about critical theory, uh critical theory was was really formed out. It, it really came from these Marxist philosophers in the Frankfurt School um in the earliest twentieth century. I think around nineteen twenty three is when they founded the Institute for Social Research. Um, they really uh, were focusing on a class on classic Marxist ideas until around 1930 when they when they bought Max Horkheimer in um, and they moved from focusing on classical Marxist philosophy to having more of a comprehensive focus on like culture and society, the ways in which domination was won and maintained through culture and society. Um, he also recruited and bought in uh, Theodore Adorno, Eric Fromm, Herbert Marcuse, um, and uh, some would say that the goal was to expose through social critique. Um, how dominant ideology within like bourgeoisie society functioned um, in order to justify and legitimize dominance and oppression of folks and in, in within a capitalist society. Um, they believed that in a given society, the, the ruling class had a dominant narrative and ideology for that society that actually made that domination kind of the norm or that ideology the norm. Right. Um, and uh, so th- this was kind of a reversal of how Marx saw society via the economic base informing culture or the superstructure they kind of uh saw that the ideological status quo informed everything else including uh the oppression and domination that was happening in society so that's 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 just my own quick rundown but um i think that what i would would want neil to do um as we venture into the conversation is i kind of want you to let us know how do you see and frame critical theory what do you think critical theory is um, and then why um, do you think critical theory is a is a threat to evangelicalism? Right. Sure. So I think that was a great description of critical theory and its origins. Right. Perfect. It's exactly what I would say. Uh, and what you described was the Frankfurt School and sort of critical theory narrowly. But that was in the 30s, 40s. I mean, Marcuse was writing up until like the 60s. Even. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was still, you know, it's like you know, 50, 60 years ago. So since that time, critical theory has uh, created entire disciplines that have evolved from that sort of core mm-hmm. uh, based on the ideas of Marx and Horkheimer and Marcuse. And it has spawned an entire uh, set of fields like queer theory, mm-hmm. critical race theory, critical pedagogy. Right. So all of those would be not, so they can be called critical social theories, plural. Mm-hmm. Right. But they're all under this large umbrella of critical theory, and so, um, so yeah, that so that what you described was 
perfect description of sort of early critical mm -hmm. theory, but it's sort of like talking about, you know, a feminism, right? You're like, what's right. feminism? Well, talk about the suffrage movement in the 19th century mm -hmm. and the first wave feminism. But then you have to realize, well, that was, again, that was 100, 150 years ago. Right. So since then, feminism has evolved quite a bit. And so if you want to talk about modern feminism, right. it includes a lot of different movements, right? There's there's womanism, you know, black feminism. Right. There's third wave feminism. There's, there's you know, gender critical feminism, it's called sometimes. Mm -hmm. So the, the point is there's a lot of varieties. And so in the same way, what we're seeing today is not just one critical theory, but a lot of different critical social theories, so right. queer theory, gender theory, critical race theory, things like that. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yes. Very now, true. I think for, for Southside Rabbi, the context of what we do uh, really lands on two primary lands in two primary places number one a commitment to the lord jesus christ there's yeah. this passion to see him glorified there is uh wanting to see kingdom reality infiltrate every aspect of the world and particularly the world that is right in front of us as we myself and i mean grew up in Southside st petersburg right. uh concentrated poverty dominated mainly by black and brown people um and all of the kind of social ills that go along with that. Mm -hmm. And the conviction is to take that kingdom reality and, as we say, apply it to the world. The real life thing for us is those who are right in front of us. So as we move into what we do on the podcast, we're taking that passion and then practically fleshing it out by looking at God's word, considering what how people have done theology throughout the years, that kind of thing. So right. we want to be historical, we want to be biblical, we want to keep with that which is within our theological tradition. But the question that we are asking as we think about those two places that we land, passion for Jesus, relevancy for the folks who are right in front of us. Right. Yep. As we think about something like critical race theory, why should those who are sharing the gospel on the ground, I think pastors will center on them. Why should they be concerned about critical race theory and its effect on the individuals they're trying to shepherd? So let's start with that. How would you answer that? That's a, that's a great question because you talk about you know the people uh, in your path, right in front of you, like the Good Samaritan, like you, you, you want to minister to people in front of you. And sometimes people can say, look, I don't want to worry about these theories, this abstract principles. Like, why does it matter to, to loving people in the name of Jesus, right? right. And I think if that's, you know, your, your attitude, I think that's that's fine and that's good. But we have to also be aware of the cultural context in which we minister, in which these ideas are influencing people. So, for example, I mean, just take a, a simple example. If you're ministering to people uh, who are influenced by ideologies like, um, say, as a scientist, right? I have to be aware, I had to be aware when I was in academia, I had to understand, say, uh, evolution. I couldn't be ignorant of it. I couldn't just love people. I could, I could but people would have questions then. They'd say, wait a minute, you're, you're a Christian and you're a scientist. How do you reconcile faith and evolution, say? Or how do you reconcile uh, just science and religion in general? So I had to start understanding the conflict, understanding their beliefs so that I could effectively communicate to them. Now, is it necessary? No, I can share the gospel, whether or not I understand evolution, but it really helps me to answer their questions. Right. You know, um, and so in the same way, in a culture, that I think in the last 
say three months, uh, critical race theory has exploded into the cultural consciousness. It, it was already pretty popular. I think if we're gonna minister to people who are swimming in these waters, we have to understand the theory and then understand both how we can uh, appreciate some of the things it says as Christians, it's not, it's not all false, but also how we can understand how it leads to conflicts with our worldview. That, and practically, I had a really good conversation about a month ago with um, two black pastors and a black woman on a, on a podcast called Tactical Faith. And one of the guys was like, I, you know, the black pastor said, I, I minister in a, in a rural community in rural Alabama, and my congregants are, all, many of them are poor. So we're talking about how, you know, racism is a system versus racism as an individual sin and, and all this abstract stuff. But when, I, when a man comes to me and he says, pastor, you know, I live across the field from these white people and these white people, they hate me just because I'm black. Why would they hate me like that? And he said, how does, how do, how does it matter to him whether I define racism as a system or as, a, as an individual sin? And so he was asking the same questions you are. Why does it matter, right? How's it relevant to him ministering to his black congregant? And so I said to him, look, here, here's a great example. If you view racism as primarily a system of power and a structure that produces racial disparities and hierarchies, then when you talk to your friend about why do they hate you? You'd say, well, because of these, there's embedded systems and ideologies in our society that have produced disparities and the way to change them is, is, is through uh, implementing government structures and changing law. And you're talking on that level. But if you're approaching it as a Christian, you're saying, look, racism is primarily a sin and it can infect systems. It can, but primarily it's about his heart. So what's the solution primarily? It's the gospel, brother. He is a sinner, needs to repent and turn to Jesus. And the good news is that his, Jesus can save him from the sin of racism and, and all sin. And so what we can do for him, brothers, is to pray for his heart and ensure that God and love him in the name of Jesus. And also the other thing, remember that because you're a sinner, don't get proud because you have the same sin in your heart. So we can approach him now in humility and say, the sin that lives in your heart lives in my heart too. So brother, I'm not going to look down on you. I'm going to love you in the name of Jesus and show you and point you to the savior mm -hmm. who can cleanse you from that sin. So my point is not that we have to ignore systems. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that what you think is primary will reflect how you minister to people, both racist and people that are hurt by racism. Right. So I, I, I think uh, two quick things. Number one, you said the critical race theory has exploded in contemporary culture here recently. I love to hear more about what that means. What does it mean that critical race theory has exploded? Uh, particularly when I think about my, let me just say this just as a little backdrop so it's no kind of gotcha going on here. Yeah. <laughs> um, for, for our experience, was I think about being a part of Living Faith Bible Fellowship. It's a small urban church that primarily ministers to the work for working class people. Um, there are many folks in that demographic who are, it isn't a matter of folks not being educated or unaware. Um, these are people who perhaps come from or live in poverty, uh, but they're very intelligent, they're very capable, and they're lovers of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Many of them go throughout their lives never hearing of critical race theory. Preceding the explosion, many of them, especially the black and brown folks, and by God's grace, a lot of the, the, the white people in our church, in fact, most of the white people in our church is the same thing, 
individuals who individuals who are in our community have held their vision of racism and how it works in the world before this became a popular thing in 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 culture meaning there are particularly leaders in our church who have been doing the work of discipleship and racial reconciliation, understanding the way that this sin works itself out in people's prejudice for 20, 30 years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think about it, again, as a young man from Southside St. Petersburg, what it meant for me to be in kindergarten. And before I was aware of anything called reporting journalism, and before I knew anything about the uh, what was happening in anybody's ivory tower, okay, I went to my predominantly white school, and I came home probably about three months into my time being there. This is my first experience really with the dominant culture, or what we would call majority culture, rather. Mm-hmm. I came home and I pulled my mother aside and I said, hey, I don't want to be black anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to be white. Same thing Shailen's son said to him. Yeah, too. Shailen's he, he just son. Wrote an are you familiar with Shailen? For Gospel um, Coalition yeah, talking about yeah. how his son said the same thing to him in 2020. This is 2020. So right. this, this was years ago. Right. Because um, I'm 30, 32 now. Mm-hmm. I was six at the time. I, 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 my mother and her, uh, and her boyfriend at the time who later became her husband, uh, tried to sit me down and explain to me, here, here are all the things you should be proud about of being an African-American. Here are all the things that, that, that you can look to and find courage and, and, and strength. Uh, the, you shouldn't think this way. You're, you're not less than. And all, all they're talking meant nothing to me because that's not what I was experiencing at school. At school, the black kids were always in trouble. I was talking to my wife probably about four or five years ago. She was taking me to the airport, and I was explaining to her about what it was like growing up in kindergarten, in particular, where the black kids didn't get to go in the treasure box. And as a grown man, I started crying in the car. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I literally just left the gym the day before. I got punched in the face by somebody as hard as they could. I box, okay? <laughs> and uh, not a tear in sight. <laughs> But uh, for but this struck such a chord for me because what it felt like it was this reinforced thing that my very neutral approach. I'm a six year old. I, there's no bias here. There's no real agenda here. Just going to school. No, no one called me the N word. There, there wasn't any overt like you know. I didn't see any KKK. None of that stuff. But I could sense from what I was feeling at school, what I was seeing on television, who all the superheroes were. I looked at all my toys. All the toys that were being mass produced were a particular race and culture, for that matter. Not just race, it's the culture dynamic as well. That was different from what I was in, and it became clear to me that it was better to not be black. Right? So as I'm thinking about that and then linking it with stories of African-Americans all around the country and then not just the country, but there's also the global aspect of this conversation as well. We find similar, similar concepts in, in Korea and in Malaysia, in South America with the Morenos. Mm-hmm. When I engage with all of that, I am often struck by how critical race theory will come in and explain why some of that is happening 
and I would agree exactly with the explanation, like to a T. And when they propose solutions, which is a separate thing, that's when my sort of Christian worldview kind of goes off. But the diagnosis, which is a lot of what we're seeing happening in the culture today, actually aligns with a lot of what folks have been experiencing for a long time and been talking about for a long time, yet no one cared, uh, probably for the same reason why they're talking about it, because they are kind of outside of power. So the question was, (laughs) the original question was, when you say it's exploded, critical race theory has exploded, give us some more context to what you mean by that. Sure. Well, let me just pause and say what you just described is like, I keep, I always say this when I do reviews, not everything critical race theory says is wrong. I'm, I'm, re- I'm reading right, right now through um, the corpus, the works of Robin D'Angelo, mm-hmm. who's the most prominent critical race theorist in, in the United States right now. Yeah, right. best-selling author, charges a lot of money to give seminars on racial sensitivity training. But uh, I'm in the middle of her book. I almost finished her book. What does it mean to be white? And she's talking right now about the problem of uh, representation in media of black and brown people and talking about how our media representations of uh, blacks and brown people uh, in movies, on the news, on TVs, it it produces these ideas, these stereotypes that reinforce, they're often very negative. And and, and even if they don't intentionally reinforce negative stereotypes, uh, they're just, they, they do reinforce what's called the racialization of society. So you right. notice race, you know, you don't categorize people by like, you know, people, some people have detached earlobes, you know, some people have earlobes that sure. attach. Right. You know, sure. Like, you don't look at, when I talk, describe some person, I'm like, oh, you, Amin has those detached, he's a detached earlobe. <laughs> he's a detacher. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. 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 But you, you wouldn't even, you'd be like, oh, Amin's the black guy. Oh, see, but that's the, that's the salient feature I notice. I'm going to describe someone. And, and, and more than that, D'Angelo points out how you don't usually describe people as the white guy. I mean, maybe if they're in the NBA, you're like, oh, yeah, the white guy, the Mavericks. But, right. but others, usually you talk about the Asian woman or the Hispanic, the old Hispanic guy. So race is a important category socially. And even six-year-olds notice that. They're not, they're not reading D'Angelo. They're not reading you know, Kimberly Crenshaw. They notice that and they pick up on these subtle cues. Who's on TV? Who are the superheroes? What do they look like? So everything you described, I'd say, yeah, that's true. And in fact, let's put this in a Christian context. I always talk about uh, for Christians, people say, well, why should I care about this in the church? Can we leave all that behind? Because we're, we're Christians, we're going to church. Let's forget about all that worldly secular stuff. I said, now, wait a minute here. Don't be naive because all of us have a culture. And one of the critical race theorist points is uh, what you think is neutral culture, the default culture, this, this normal culture is actually often white culture. Mm-hmm. So people will say like, well, what's the point of critical race theory? What do they have to say? It's good. I say, well, what kind of music do you play at church? And they say, you know, normal music, <laughs> normal music. Well, tell me about your normal music. And then, you know, we play like Chris Tomlin and Matt Redman and Matt Poppett. So, wait, okay, well, hold up. That, that's actually a particular kind of music right. that not everyone will appreciate. Now, maybe all people in your church like it, but you realize <laughs> that you actually have a culture and it's being expressed in your worship. Facts. And more than that, have you ever asked people in your church who are, say, not majority culture, do they like the worship style? 
right? Because and be aware of that. I'm not saying you have to change your right. music and you have to have, you know, all these different, I'm just asking, be, be reflective Facts. and say, what message are we sending by the music we play? So my church, a few, about a year ago or two years ago. And we love your church, getting, by the way. Okay. Shout out to JD, JD, JD yeah. Greer is your JD Greer, yeah. That, that's my guy. Shout out JD Greer. I, I don't know if all of the campuses did this, but I know my campus, I, and they didn't make an announcement. They didn't, but it was just, I think it was just sort of subtle. And I, so I don't, I'm not stepping on any toes, I hope. But I began to notice that they began to play Christian hip hop in the lobby before service. Right. Right. And we, actually, our campus is actually pretty racially diverse. We're uh-huh. the most diverse campus. Uh-huh. Um, and but so so we were there were people in your congregation I'm sure who appreciated that who said oh right. I, I like Christian hip hop frankly um, and so I'm not like Pat's a big fan by the way my friend Pat Sawyer's no he you got to talk Shout to him Pat we will yeah. <laughs> he, back in the day he brought Lecrae into I think the raw he helped try get Lecrae to come play uh, in the RDU area for a concert oh wow anyway but the point is. Um, they did that just subtly. It was a subtle thing. They want to make sure that people feel comfortable from any background. And then lately, they're noticing that in the worship songs, I, I can't tell, but it seems like it's more Black gospel music. And they're not trying, they're not like, it's not like pandering. Just notice that some of the songs, I'm like, huh, that sounds like sort of like Black gospel right, song. Right, right. Now, they're great songs. They're not like, they're not watering down the quality of the songs. They're, I think they're just, I, I don't know. I didn't ask my pastor. Um, but I think they're trying to make people aware of more. There's more diversity in the church than you might realize. Right. So it's a, just a, a digression. But my point is when Christians ask me, why should we even bother with this garbage? And I say, well, there's some ideas that are actually just common sense. And they flow out of First Corinthians, right? That we should lay down our rights for the sake of edifying the body. Whether it's your, it's my right to listen to, the, you know, to this kind of music. Well, it's not, that's not really your right. But even if it were... Don't you want to give up your rights for the sake of bringing people into the kingdom and loving on Facts. your brothers and sisters right, in Christ? Right. Yeah. Okay. So made, that was a no. he made a long digression. No, so it's fine. no, no, no. We're all about long digressions on here. <laughs> okay. So back to the question. You said it when I talked about exploding. Uh, there's actually data on this. So if you a bunch of social scientists, uh, I'm not sure actually their background, but I've seen a number of people who've just done, done um, Lexus Nexus searches. They just searched New York Times. Mm-hmm for the occurrences of words like intersectionality, right. racism, white supremacy, and all, all these, and, and more words that are technical, like white fragility is a phrase that was coined in 2011. It's a new yes. phrase. Right. Yeah, right. Robin DiAngelo, yeah. Yeah, so, but, but you can plot these graphs and you look at New York Times, Washington Post, I think CNN, and all of these media outlets, the, 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 it looks like, I mean, it's crazy. It's like this ex- explosion in around 2014 which is when black lives matter i think was founded uh-huh. around that year right around then there's this sh- spike in all these words um and then you can look at other um i think i mean just a few months ago robin d'angelo and abram x candy were back to back number one number two bestsellers on amazon right. on kindle right. and on audible right i talked to people uh, I said, hey, you should read this book, White Fragility, because why? Well, because it's so popular. You have to know what people are reading. They're like, well, I don't want to pay for it. I'm like, okay, well, go to the library. They're like, I did. I'm on the wait list. I'm number 170. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's... Right, so when I say exploding, that's what I mean. Okay. Right. Now, that gives context. It, yeah. that, that gives context because I think from, from our perspective, it's uh, it feels... <laughs> 
please give me grace in what I'm about to say. A little Christopher Columbus-esque mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. it's like, hey, look what we discovered. Right. And 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 now this is going to be ours now. You know what I mean? And mm. when I think about the, the, the conversation of white supremacy, racism, and racial reconciliation, uh, the even the, the phrase woke, which is also a, a newer phrase, mm-hmm. there have been different terms that have emerged to describe something, but the ideology or the, the, the kind of uh, reality behind the term has been something that we've been talking about for years. Right, right. And, and be, I mean, the legacy for, for, for me goes back to my, being a teenager. But beyond that, we go back hundreds of years. There has been all kinds of work that has been done on these very right. topics. Right. Now, what we have always seen in almost every um, movement that has emerged, any kind of liberation movement or freedom movement that has emerged in the black community, we've always seen those mo- movements have attacks on them or attempts to co-opt them into something else, uh, to, to, to co-opt them into feminism, or to co- co-opt them. Uh, one of the big things that, that we try that we saw happening a lot is trying to co-opt them into something like communism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's been pretty much a central focus on the issues that exist and how they are currently hurting black and brown people. It's the the literal scars that are on my body that I'm talking about. I'm not trying to politicize this. I'm not trying to figure out what camp I'm, I'm in. Right. I'm not trying to sound Marxist. I don't even know who Karl Marx is. I don't know nothing about mm-hmm. Frank. I don't know any of that stuff. All I know is, is that there. it seems that there is preference to a color that is not the color that I'm in. And my, my question for you, and I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I love, I know you've got plenty of questions you want to ask, but my question for you, Neil, is when you think even about the mainstream racism conversation, because I really think that's what's happened. I, and I, I think the context you gave makes sense to me. Like it's mainstream now and you can mark, yeah. you could, the study is showing that, but that doesn't speak to what has actually been happening outside mm-hmm. of power, which kind which yeah. is, which is the, the minority theology and pastoring and shepherding and, 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 and when folks were losing their jobs left and right for we're bringing these things up, not just black people, but people part of the majority culture right. were trying to argue some of these things and getting sidelined and all those kind of things would happen just underneath the, 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 the spectrum. But I think it's important to just to say because it's now in vogue doesn't mean that it's now it's new. Right. Because a lot of this stuff was happening Pre Trayvon Martin, pre right, right. Pre, Trayvon uh, Martin was one of a long line. Th- that kind of was marched like a, in St. Pete o- over all kinds of right, like, of the same situation. So, so, so it, to me, it seems that a lot of this stuff is mainstream now. And then in the main of this stuff being mainstream, you have you have people giving language and stuff that people have been feeling. So that's why I think that when when Robin D'Angelo comes out with white fragility, regardless of whether people agree with the term or not, I think that if you look at the history of how Black people have talked about race with their white neighbors, they would say the reason the reason why a lot of folks would be like i actually resonate with white fragility is because i mean decades before robin d'angelo showed up you have black people saying when we have tried to have these conversations with our white neighbors they have responded in the way in which d'angelo seems to describe in describing what white fragility is etc etc these things may be like in vogue now but even prior to a black lives matter being organized even prior to trayvon martin ever being killed even prior to trayvon martin even being born 
these conversations were always happening. Now, now it's mainstream. And now that it's being more mainstream with Black Lives Matter and that you have Robin D'Angelo writing what she did, right, for Jilly and other stuff. And you have Kimberly Crenshaw doing what she's doing. All of these. And then Ibram Kimdi doing what he's doing. All these books are selling. I, I, I understand the, the cultural yeah, uh, commercial it fanfare around it. Perspective. But what I think is, is starting to happen, though, is that as that happens, you have Christians responding to the cultural fanfare. And then they're also what they're also doing is they're delegitimizing the very real issues in which we're being which we're being brought up by people of color, even in Christianity, way before these things were 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 commercialized and way before they were in vogue. And and I and I, and I think that I get what KB is saying is that the majority of people in my neighborhood, not even just the majority of people in my neighborhood, the majority of people that I know in churches, white and black, that that would talk about how that would talk about the legitimacy of some of these issues of systemic and institutional racism and all of these things would be like, I have no idea what critical theory is. I don't know what the subsets are. I don't know critical race theory. I don't know queer theory. I don't even know. I really don't know, know anything about Marxism, cultural Marxism, neo-Marxism, Gramsci. I don't know nothing about any of that. But all I do know is that this is what I've seen happening in, in society. And this is what right, has been going on. Right. And then you have evangelicals saying, well, see, you don't know that. But what? But your interpretation of what's happening in society is, is cultural Marxism. The reason that you see society the way you see it is because cultural Marxism has become kind of like a pathology in which you don't really see or know that it's actually framing the way that you're viewing justice. It's framing the way that you're viewing the reality and all of these things. And and to me, that is where there's a, a huge uh, kind of disconnect for me because yeah, it, people talk about cultural Marxism as a pathology that's shaping the way people think it. But then when people talk about how the construct of whiteness does the same thing as a pathology, then it's a problem. You know what I'm saying? But then but but when people say cultural Marxism does it that way too, like you don't know that you're a cultural Marxist, but because cultural Marxism has been embedded in the systems that you swim and move in so much educational media, all these things, that it's framed the way that you view society. And then in fact it's framed the way that you interact with society and even your actions. And then we say, Well, that's what we that's what some folks say about whiteness. And then they're like, Oh right. no. Yep. There's no way, there's no way that, that, that that's the <laughs> now case. Now you're taking it too far. But it is the case with cultural Marxism well, though. Well, so I, you I would know, love to hear Neil respond respond to that because that that would that that would for for us because what we see happen a lot Neil is individuals weaponize you and it's so funny the other day the weaponization of Neil yeah, Shinby yeah, is, yeah. is 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 it's, it's serious it's very serious I felt almost encouraged I did I felt encouraged when Neil said the other day. I get called a Marxist. Neil, right. I'm like, hold up, Neil Shinvi. This is the rubric, but the people, for the church, because yeah, it's like the people that are calling us Marxists call us Marxists and then throw us Neil Shinvi's article, and like, say, like Neil, Neil Shinvi stuff. But then, like, but then they're calling Neil Shinvi a Marxist. But what I was gonna say here, that this is 30 <laughs> seconds, and then the floor is yours, brother. Is that what has I've been heard that before? <laughs> what, what is discouraging is cultural Marxism is a phrase that was used in the 60s. And it was responding to some people who were actually Marxists. Even before the like, 60s. Like, like right. a Angela, uh, Angela Davis, she was a Marxist, okay? Yeah. But that didn't categorize most of the conversation around race. It, it was really with a fringe group among those who were doing the freedom rides and right. civil rights, all that right. kind of thing. But those who typically would use the phrase, and yes, Leninism, Leninism and, and, and those right. who would use cultural Marxism communism, as yeah. a tool, communism... 
they would typically use it to silence those who were talking about something that needed yeah. to be heard. Said the same thing to MLK. And yeah. MLK wrote an essay about why Marxism was trash. Right. And on how he's not a Marxist, but they still so call he, him Marxist. So you have yeah. a society that is actively living in Jim Crow. Blacks not allowed. Whites only. As clear as racist as you can be. And those, and a lot of times Christians, are calling those who are opposing it Marxists and communists and communists yeah. so on and so forth so I want you to respond to what we've said but here's a question I want to just put in the basket as well what do you feel about those who would who would want which we see I feel like I see happen a lot take what you're saying to silence a much needed conversation therefore solidifying their own prejudice i.e. sin against God yeah so there's, I, I heard several questions. Yeah, sorry. Go back Answer all of them. Now, and do it perfectly. Because <laughs> you're smart, Princeton. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, so I think you talked about how a lot of these issues, these ideas, were not coming from critical race theory, which really emerged in the 1980s with Derek Bell. Right. Really cranked up. But it went back, it has legs going back to like, you know, W.E.B. Du Bois mm -hmm. and, and, you know, way back in the day. And that's absolutely right. So, for example, one of the core tenets of critical race theory has to do with double consciousness, which was a phrase that was coined by Du Bois. Du Bois, right. Way back in the day. That's when I but learned about it. Yeah. They'll, they'll say that. They'll talk about how blacks have this double consciousness because they live in a majority society, so they have to see themselves both as black and they see themselves through the eyes of whites. But the point is, the critical racists will acknowledge these ideas have been around for decades. Uh, things like um, intersectionality, although the term was coined by Crenshaw in 1989, she'll, she'll refer, uh, Patricia Hill Collins talks about how it goes back to the 1970 uh, uh, the Combahee River Collective Statements, a black feminist statement. Right. It goes back all the way to Sojourner Truth's speech in I, a woman, right? right uh, that's right. intersectional. So the point is, I totally agree that these ideas go back way farther than critical race theory. Um, that's, that's, I agree with that. Amen. Um, and I also agree that uh, there are real, I mean, racism is a sin. And I have data showing in my talks that show the data on how Racism still exists. They exist in the church. Right. Uh, opposition to interracial marriage is the sort of most quantifiable way you can measure that. Mm. But it's still incredibly, inc alarmingly high. I was shocked how high it is. It's about 15% yeah. in society as a whole. And it depends on what, how you measure it. But I'd say it's probably around 20% among confessing evangelicals today. That's an estimate. It's hard to put numbers on it. But it's around that. So it's, again, shockingly high. Although I talked to, I gave this talk at a, a, at a New Orleans once. And a guy from Mississippi was in the back and he goes, man, if it were 20% where I live, I'd be like, hallelujah, praise God, God's <laughs> in the move. Because where he was, and he, he, was so much, he was like so much higher than that where I live. So again, all I'm saying is I think these issues are real. They were real in our history. They're real today still. And um, so when, and I think what you're, you're right, exactly right, is that when people who feel um, like they've been trying to get justice, they've been seeing how uh, you know they've been feeling the effects of racism their entire mm, lives, mm. and they feel like critical race theory is providing language for that struggle. Then they're like, "Yes, this is this is it. This has got to be it." Because they're speaking, they're telling that they that fits perfectly into what I've experienced my whole life. And so that again, they're they're feeling like finally someone's listening to me. They finally get it, and so they latch on to these ideas. So that's uh, a real phenomenon. I think it's. And I can understand why that's happening. Um, and then, okay, the, 
then the final thing was what about me being weaponized Shenvi? Um, the, one of the, the very first interaction I had with Amin was from an article you wrote on this subject. Right. You talked about how people weaponize the phrase cultural Marxism. And that's right. a phrase I always recommend people not use yes. for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you did it, say it is, that. Is, that's dope. Yeah. You did say that in your article, yes. The uh, whole article was to don't use that phrase because it's used and and so and now critical race theory and critical theory can be used the same way to shut down conversation. I totally agree. And ironically, as you pointed out, I was going to make the point, you can also shut down conversations by saying, oh, you're just speaking from a position of a whiteness. Right. You're, you're infected by white supremacy and you don't even see it. So you know, I can't even talk to you. So both of those accusations are used to shut down conversations. And one of the big themes in my talks is that when I give it advice, I'm like, the number one thing we have to do within the church is have real dialogue mm. like we're having right now. Right. Amen. Where you talk and I listen. Amen. And then I say, is this what you were saying? And you're like, yes, yes, yes. He gets it. And then I say, okay, now I talk and you listen and you repeat it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got it too. So that's, I, I based that model of, it's called active listening right. on my that's friend, powerful. Dr. George Yancey's book, Beyond Racial Gridlock. And yeah. his whole model. I've got that book. It's a good book. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good book because, and I'll just, you know, my big thing, I'll I'll be, I'll, you know, I'll drop a truth bomb here. I'm all about opposing critical theory. Big shock, right? (laughs) What? But but here's, (laughs) you didn't know that. I know. I feel like real dialogue, it's like kryptonite to critical theory because critical theory has this narrative that says the people in power use reason and evidence and even dialogue to justify their oppression. So don't even dialogue with them because they're just going to use that dialogue to justify injustice and to make it, to to justify the status quo. And so you just have to tell them the way it is and ignore them and silence them, deplatform them. And then the the other side, the the, the right-wing side says, these cultural Marxists want to destroy America and and, and we have to just get rid of them and ignore them and, and separate ourselves from them. And I would actually argue that both of those sides are doing the same thing. Amen. Yeah. Say that. Yeah. Say that. That's good. So, so that's what I'm saying. That the best thing the church can do is to model real dialogue. Get put on your stage two intelligent people from opposite sides of the issue who are both believers who both love Jesus, and then they can really talk. And what I also that's so that's one thing I think that that is just what I always want to tell people. If you're don't ever use my writing to shut down conversation. You can use my writing to open up dialogue and say, hey, I'm concerned about this. Wait, hey, I will never say don't do that. Right. But leave it open. To, let them respond to it. Let them talk. Um, and then so then the other thing I think we can do is in addition to having dialogue is that I find that many times we can often, if we focus on so not policy on the church level, but yeah, say ecclesiastical policy. What do you want us to do? Because sometimes people just want like, I just want you to listen. I mean, I I can't tell you how many, I feel like I get a lot of odd, some audiences because they realize I've listened when I can tell them, Hey, here are your concerns. Right. And they're like, Oh my gosh, he gets it. See, all they wanted was someone to listen to them and and understand where they're coming from. Yeah. I feel like if we, and then, and then, so one, we just want you to listen to them and to, to empathize, right? And the other thing they might be, they might have very like common sense demands. I give my talks to super conservative audiences. I mean, super duper duper conservative audiences. 
but they're believers. So when I share with them this data on, say, racism today or hiring discrimination, they are, or I talk about lynching and the horrors of slavery. When I show them the data, I show them the stories, they are just aghast and they hate it. And then when I say, well, here's how your church could respond, maybe they, they don't get, they don't call it calling me it. Well, they, sometimes they call me a Marxist. Some people do, but, but generally the overwhelming response is positive. They're like, how can our church work for racial unity? That's the overwhelming response I get. So, and, and I, so if you give it, if you're looking for practical solutions, oftentimes, you know, both sides, quote unquote, can agree upon the actual, uh, outworking like well should we just play different music that would that help yeah it would help i mean another example from my church um i think i i forget where i heard this but someone was saying that people uh, black people who came to our campus they felt like they weren't being greeted they felt like they were being given the cold shoulder now knowing knowing what i know about my church i'm like that can't be true like first of all like we're our our, pa- our campus pastor is black right our assistant campus pastor is black our campus pastor is korean but the point is that's <laughs> unlikely that there is an intentional, you know, unfriendliness happening. But the point is that was the perception. So one of the things that I heard that we did was like, we were like, look, if a black person comes to our church, make sure that they feel welcome because our church still is majority white. So they might, and they play majority white music. So just make sure they know we love them. And that now, seems so common sense to us. I think yeah. that it is common sense. I actually think, I, I, and like you said, I think that when you were like a lot of the what can we do is like common sense stuff. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Um, to actually use your example, though, of what you were just talking about, like when you said, you know, there are a lot of black people that said they feel ignored. They feel ignored. Um, I feel like what what I would it's it's hard for me because I feel like most of some of my white brothers and sisters would kind of have the response that you just had when you said that can't be that can't be possible. Because the the idea, which kind of also first of all, oh, the pastor's black. Yeah, the pastor's black. We <laughs> yeah, have my best friends black. I'm just messing so, with you. So, so I'm not trying to sound critical theory is, but it, it but it feels like again, I don't agree with everything Robin D'Angelo says. I, I and I and I know she's like the pop, like she is just the popular person right now. Yes. There are some things that I think that she says that are valid. Some things I think she says that are invalid. But I think that sometimes. What people when people respond when they say that can't be possible is because like I'm just gonna be honest like she says they hear that as either the person is being intentionally evil like a bad person or they're or it, it's either it's a bi- like she said in some respects it's a binary either they're yeah. you're saying that they're bad people or they're not so the response has to be that that can't be happening and and it's like no it actually could be happening yeah but it doesn't mean that they are intentionally saying. Yo, I'm going to ignore these black people because I don't like them. I don't want them to feel welcome. That's not what we're saying. But the question that I think black people will ask is, why do black people feel this way here? Yeah, it could, could it be? It could, could it be that there is something going on? We need to sit down and say, what is going on here where they don't feel welcome? Right. If they are not being greeted like everyone else is, why are we not greeting them? Because it can't. And that's not actually. Be, and just to add to Amin's point, that's not actually an, an emotion. Not 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 being greeted is an action. That that's right. It's not I like literally a, had no one not greet me. It, it isn't like. I, and I just if it's didn't, collective, if everybody's right, right. saying this, we're all experiencing that. Right. Then it's not just like an emotional perception. It's right. like no, the action is we all have literally said we have come to this place and nobody has greeted greeted us. It's a it's a it's a real. It's rooted in a, an existence. And and I think. That's the challenge. The challenge is, could it be, I understand that 
outside of the church, they take, you know, believe all witnesses too far. Right. Okay. Mm. But what, what I often find, though, is that what's not even considered as an option is maybe there is something imperceptive at work in our congregation or in our fellowship that sometimes overlooks people that we would not overlook if they look like us, um, we have this issue in Acts with the Grecian widows. That's uh, we my, all know yeah. about that. That here, here's this situation where there is an ethnic group that is within our community. I hate to put the intersections in there, but they were <laughs> Grecian and they were widows. So right. widows are typically in the mind of the Holy Spirit to be among the most vulnerable of the society. So you got these vulnerable individuals within the church who were being overlooked, not because the apostles were were were, were I don't think widowists. Right. You know what I'm saying? But they they yeah. they didn't they were overlooked because they were not seen. And what I'm saying is, and I'll bounce back to you in a second, I do wonder, I do wonder if the alternative would be better than what some black folk would feel is that they would feel like you're placating them when you, you're saying like, I know you feel like I've had conversations with, with pastors about this very thing. There are people that are saying that that they don't feel loved and welcome and stuff like that, but that's probably because of their own trauma. That can't be mm. happening here. We're a loving church. So we're going to just make sure yeah. to do something extra. So we're going to do something right. extra to kind of to kind of serve their fantasy because that's not actually happening yeah. and, not, and we and we don't think that it's happening right we, we just we don't know think that happening. they right, think right. it's happening so we're gonna go and, the extra mile to kind of like help them and and, and can and, i real quick real quick yeah. and i would say that i think that that that's where the racial reconciliation conversation gets tricked tripped up mm. because if we cannot get to the if we can't agree on the problem there's no way in the world that we're going to be able to agree on the solution right i think it's one of those things where it's like how can two walk together unless they agree I wanted to ask you about some of the things that I've read from you. Most of the stuff that I read that I, that I read from you, um, I'll put it like this: I feel like you are the most balanced in this conversation around critical race theory for those who are anti-critical race theorists, right. like, like yourself. The, definitely so the most balanced. You, I, I would say, man, th this brother right here has a heart for Jesus, and, right. and that's what I love about you so much. There are some things that you wrote that I want to actually, I would like us to look at, and 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 I want to ask you questions about them. But I, I think. When we think when we think about agreeing on the problem, is there a problem in our churches that either supersedes or at least rivals? I would say supersedes, but I would hope we can admit rivals. Is there an issue with white supremacy that is infecting the way we do fellowship today? Is that would you look at that and say a part of what churches have to do? for racial reconciliation is not simply becoming more creative about how they can make black people feel more welcome and take a black person out to eat, but they have to deal with the ways that white supremacy has actually influenced the way they do church and where they see people and the way they organize their lives and who they hire, so on and so forth. Would you, would you rock with us on that? Would you say that that's a top tier issue, perhaps over critical race theory? So let me go back to the question of Mina. So that was a great pushback there. And I, I totally agree, actually. I should have said that knowing what I know of our church, they're not intentionally ignoring mm -hmm. people. Right? Mm -hmm. That's what I mean. Right. Now, could they be unintentionally ignoring people? They could. And actually, I would point to data about, say, racial hiring discrimination. So there's a ton of studies out there that show that Blacks get fewer callbacks to, for job applications by about 40% than whites. 
all things being equal, there's a very careful experiment. So there, and do I think that, you know, employers are intentionally discriminating against blacks and they could be sure, but it's also possible that they're just unintentionally, you know, looking, seeing a black name, like I think Lakeisha, they, Lakeisha or Jamal, those are two names versus Emily and Greg. They're saying, ah, this doesn't look right. This is going to be a good fit for a company, right. right? Yeah. I don't know. And those experiments can't test the motivation, but the point is there can be subconscious biases that you that end up producing people not being greeted. So I should say that that's absolutely on the table. Could but you be underappreciating how pervasive what you just described is in our country? Yes, I could be. Mm-hmm. But here, but here, and this is a, this is such a great subject. It's a great test case here, relatively benign, but still, you know, <laughs> it's the tip of the iceberg here. Here's exactly why I'm so worried about critical race theory. On the one hand, you have take it, take the conservative, call it the conservative approach that says, like Amin said, no, man, you don't get it. Our church is so loving. We couldn't possibly be doing this. Right. We'll placate you, peep, you poor benighted black and brown people who feel like you're, it's not really happening, but you know, pat you on the head. God bless you. We'll right. take care of you. God right. bless you. That, that's that's one side, right? right. That's the, one side. Yeah. It doesn't. It's totally unreflective. Totally unwilling to even the possibility that I might be biased. No, there's it's impossible. So that's I agree. That could be a problem if we're unwilling to test our hearts and, and willing to say no. I couldn't be me. I could. I couldn't be possibly be right. in any way racially biased. Right. Let's. That's silly. Our hearts are wicked. Yeah. Right. And they're deceptive. It would defeat so the whole always, idea of, of depravity, of our whole yeah. doctrine of depravity. And more than that, too, also, you can have these uh, these unconscious biases that are just like, you know, people think um, things that are they see all the time are just normal. Right. right. C.S. Lewis talks about how the little girl who thinks her father's fish knives are real fish knives and the neighbor's fish knives are not real fish knives because was well, that sin? No, it's just like, you know, you're just naive and you're, you know. So that could be an issue too, just not sinful bias, but just it's still bias and so right. it's, and it's still hurting people. Right. So the spectrum there, uh, even on the unconscious level. But here's the thing: so that's one error we can fall into. Right. Being completely and and, and there's a sense that there is some fragility going on there when white people can be fragile. Right. I, so well, I'm glad people, you said that because uh, yes. because according to a lot of people, they would think you would not even admit that there could be some type of fragility. Well, fragile in everything except right. They can be fragile in other things, but not right. race. Well, race yeah, is right. solid as right. rock. Yeah. Right. Well, what I would say is, so I think whites can be fragile, blacks can be fragile, True. half Indians like me can F- be fragile, facts. Asians can be fragile. So because it's human fragility, we're all defensive. We're all, we're all self righteous. Right. Facts. Right. And as Christians, we can say, hey, is that dynamic at work in me, whether I'm white, black, brown, or purple? Okay, that's one side. But here's the other danger that I'm worried about, too, which is that D'Angelo's answer to what is going on is this. All the white people, all of them in your church, are deeply racist. They just are. I, she's like, I am deeply racist. I have a deeply racist worldview. I just read today in her book, she says... At, you know, basically white people value blacks less at a deeply unconscious level. And they deny that they do. She said this all in one sentence. <laughs> they, they value blacks less subconsciously, and then they deny that they do that to protect their own righteousness. That's an, for her, that is an axiom. That's an assumption. How, now think about that. Let's, so the one extreme is, no, I couldn't possibly be biased at all. Right. It's one extreme. The other extreme is, 
you are absolutely not only biased, you actually think blacks are less valuable. And if you deny that you think that it's because you're, you're that deeply biased. Mm-hmm. Now, think about what effect that if you actually believe what D'Angelo says, what right. she's written in her books. How is that going to affect racial talks in your church? If every black person and all the woke white people think if you deny that D'Angelo is speaking truth here, it's because you're that much more racist. <laughs> that, that's the, so those are so I think we should see that those are both really now. I have to, so you asked me which is more important. I have to say, and I'll speak for myself, I see that D'Angelo's approach as more harmful. Because now you're not, because she's not just saying, she's not just saying, oh, you know, they might have unconscious biases. She is saying they value blacks less. And if they deny that they do, it's because that's how they really don't value you. If if a person of color really believes that about all their white brethren, not that they're being unconsciously insensitive, but they are being like, they have this deep white supremacy buried in their hearts. What's that going to do to the church? It is going to tear it limb from limb and you can, and you read, and and, and I'll just, in my lived experience, I get emails from people talking about, and I got an email from a black pastor in Texas who said that there are four, he's trying to shut, he's like, I, you know, he's like, I understand racism. Okay. Like I, I get it. And, but I have four couples in my church who are thinking of separating over in his, in his thinking it's critical race theory this this different view of how race works and they're just torn apart by it they can't get along as married couples he's trying to he's like i'm trying to pastor white people black people cops black lives matter supporters they're all together in my church they're all supposed to be brothers in christ and they're being torn apart by this issue and so i'm not saying the solution is to go to the right wing and just be completely naive about race i'm not saying that but i'm saying that i don't there are certainly people out there that need to be told that racism does, that are racist, that need to repent, period, period. But telling white people and assuming that all white people are racist, you're, 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 that's a really dangerous thing to assume about your brothers. In fact, I argue the Bible says that that itself is a sin. Right. If you are thinking the worst of your brothers in Christ because of their skin color, Man, oh man, like that's, that's, a, that's, so which is worse. And I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make a value judgment on, on a social level. I can, I'm not going to tell you what's worse. You know, what's worth, it's like saying what's worse, Arianism or modalism. I'm like, they're both heresy. I don't know. Like <laughs> sure. it depends on your context, but, but, I say, but depend, yeah, but depending on the context, it, whichever one is most rampant would probably get your attention for the. See, I'd say it's contextual though. Cause I bet you. Anything yes, I agree with that. that that, that, so that's that's why I really don't like to come down either way because I'm I can, I mean and here's the thing I try to contextualize my lectures if I'm speaking to a very conservative audience I try to play up the things they need to hear like hey guys racism is really there search your hearts make the effort to and don't call people Marxists right if I'm speaking to a more liberal audience I try to play up the things that they need to hear like uh, you know. Critical race theory is really dangerous, guys. These ideas, and there, I just named one of them, but there are tons of ideas that are deeply antithetical to a Christian worldview. But I, I never ignore, I never ignore either side. I try, like I said, I try to be balanced. But sometimes, like you said, KB, the the, the people you're speaking to, 
will determine which is more relevant right, to them. Even right. the person, I mean, in right. a single congregation, one person might be more in danger of one error than another person. So it's, it's really contextual. Yeah, I, I want to just, the, to the Robert D'Angelo thing, um, I find Robin D'Angelo to be pretty strong in her uh, diagnosis. Uh, but But that's a common thread in the world, right? God gave image bearers minds that can weigh things that are off and they can say, hey, that's off. But then when they start saying, this is how we make it right, and they leave Jesus out of it, then things start to get challenging. But being able to agree on what is off is very, very important. And speaking of what is off, when you say that if white people all around the world, all around the nation, all said, you know what, I have racist ideas about my black neighbors. If that happened, Mm. do you think that that would be a bad thing. So it depends what they think is racist, right? So in other words, I, and so I think and this, this is a good meta question. Yeah. I think that a lot of people see like D'Angelo, right? Right. They're like, yeah, we're not kind of on board with something. I mean, as she would say she's not calling white people that are racist bad. So she doesn't think that being racist is bad. Equals being a bad <laughs> it's, person. It's very bizarre. You know, you read the book, so you kind of get, it's a very weird kind of shell game. But the point is, I think people... See what she's saying. They, they say, okay, look, maybe she's kind of wacky, but would it be a bad thing if people just think that if all the white people in the U.S. think, oh, I have racist biases, or let's say, put it that way, put it mildly, I have racist biases, would that be so bad? And I would say it depends and on- And is that true? What, Do you think that's true, that, Neil? Do you think that white people as a group in America yeah. have- racist biases yeah absolutely i mean i'll say this look i can't speak for other people i have racist biases yes i know i do yeah yeah there you go didn't mark didn't mark cuban with the the dallas mavericks owner say like we're all a little bit racist i'm like yeah that's sure i mean we're all a little bit we all have stereotypes and biases we all make snap judgments right so and also as christians we're like and we're all sinners now like john owen said the seeds of every sinner in every heart now be careful there he did not mean that every sin is actually consciously held and rejoiced in. So, for example, sure, right. you know, I, so he didn't mean that like, because every sin's in every heart or the seed of every sin's in every heart, he didn't mean therefore, therefore I, Neil Shenvey, actively loathe people with detached earlobes. Like that's a sin. And therefore, because it's a sin and I'm a sinner, therefore I secretly in my heart hate people with detached earlobes or redheads or like, no, I've never even thought of that before this moment. So we should be, so, but I think when it comes to, we live in a very racialized, meaning that race, 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 your race correlates very strongly with things like uh, your chances, your, your outcomes in life, your opportunities in life, where you live, your education, it's very correlated, right? It's not one-to-one, but I'm just saying it's very correlated. So because of that, like, like KB was saying, you grow up in that, that's the air you're breathing. And so, yeah, you have these biases. So would it hurt if Christians realized, oh my gosh, I do have these biases. How can I correct them? I'd say, no, it wouldn't. What would hurt, I think, and be dangerous is like you, like KB said, what D'Angelo and critical race theorists do with that, right? So what they would, this would be one example. Uh, this, again, this is just one example. Um, they would say that what you need to do is you need to center people of color's lived experiences, right? 
And essentially, D'Angelo more or less says that you can never give any pushback when someone calls you a racist for any reason. Okay. That's whack. That's yeah. Well, but here, here, I mean, here's the thing, KB. There, there is a, there's a Christian, I, I don't name names. You guys know that about me. There's a Christian racial reconciliation group that in the group's like guidelines, it says to white people, when someone calls you a racist, don't defend yourself. Don't give evidence. Don't just, just take it. Be aware of the dynamics of white fragility in yourself. Just, uh, you know, affirm what they're saying. Never. And, and you're, and you're like, well, was that so bad? Well, in this group that I was a part of, you could see that the, the really angry, there were people, not all the people, people, some of the people in the group were super just angry, bitter. And the group just fed that anger. And, and there was no check to it because no one ever pulled them aside and was like, brother, these are your, these are your siblings in Christ. You can't talk to them like that because it wasn't allowed because they would be accused of, of tone policing. They would be accused of, um, there's there are all these phrases for not allowing them to express their black rage. I'm like, look, are we Christians or not? Because the Bible talks about how the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So I get that you're upset, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't give you license to just diss people for whatever you feel like, you know, let it all hang out. So the, the point is, because it adopted that framework, everything with all bets were off. And you could see this really unhealthy dynamic in the group that actually, I would say, over time, you could see people getting more and more and more miserable and feeling more and more oppressed, basically, because they this have this narrative reinforced over and over again. So all I'm saying is, and then what I would say to you, KB, is that just like all of us have racial biases, but that means all of us, whether we're white, black, half Indian, Asian, Hispanic. And so the same has to be, if we're, again, if we're basing this on biblical worldview, blacks also have to worry about, am I prejudging people because they're white? Do I look at my white brother and think he hates me in his heart? Right. No, man, man, oh man. Again, that's going to tear the church apart. So Oh, hold on, Bishop. Can I can I can I, can I say ahead. this real quick though, Neil? The only yeah. thing that I, I I'm with you. I'm actually I'm with yeah. you, and that was actually uh, clarifying. The only thing is that that I feel a bit of I bristle at a little bit is when you say that's going to ch- tear the church apart. Yeah. Um, because what I'm looking at right now is a church that is already pretty torn apart and 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 that that being torn apart if i could be honest is not necessarily because of critical race theory yeah so 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 because because for for me the narrative has been for us is that you guys are tearing the church apart yeah all of this talk about race the church was totally fine until after black lives matter became a thing and then all of you guys started this 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 really big issue of race started infiltrating the church and now you guys are tearing the church apart and it seems as if though the church being torn apart is because you guys are embracing critical theory and you're bringing critical theory in the church and that's ripping the church apart and what what folks are are saying is that it's not necessarily that more than it's that we have we have also been saying that this has been the problem with the church for a very long time right now that it's a now it's mainstream though like now everybody is seeing now the the mainstream problem is being platformed and we've 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 been seeing that this has been an issue with the church for a long time and now that we're addressing it it's being filtered through 
us not us being critical theorists us being marxists us being liberals us being leftists us being influenced by all of that and now that's being and now it's being said that we are tearing the church apart but what we're trying to say is that if, if you were saying before before this critical race theory stuff became platformed in the mainstream the church was fine until it got torn apart i feel like that again goes back to what we think about the predominant culture saying that what is fine is their default mm. when you have black yeah. people saying no we never thought it was fine we yeah, never felt at home in yeah. reform culture we always felt like we had to put our culture on the back burner to to assimilate we've all and and what has happened is that now they are voicing it they're voicing what has yeah. always been an issue and now that they're voicing what has already what has always been an issue people are saying that's critical race theory and right. now you're you're tearing the church apart right. so i feel like for me like the the when 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 you're saying that will tear the church apart, I get what you're saying, but I think that a lot of people take what you're saying and say exactly, Neil. These critical race theorists they're tearing the church apart, and they don't see how it's like no. What we have been saying for a long time is that the status quo which we had has already been tearing the church apart, but you guys did not see that black people in your church and in your culture being torn apart was the church being torn apart. Right. That's what you you got because it be, just like I believe in. What you see in Acts six? If you went to if you went to the Hebrews and, and and said, "Yo, there's been some problems," I think they would be like, "What are you talking about?" Right, right. And then if the Hellenists said, "Um, we have been being ignored in the distribution," they would be like, "Oh, we didn't really know that that was happening." Right. Because because we're so focused on the Hebrews have what they need that that means everybody has what they need. So the Hellenists are not even seen. They're not even they're like and now that this is being platformed, now black people feel like even in the church, we are now saying we want to be seen. We want to be seen. Right. These issues are not just rising out of critical this new critical theory boom. Some a lot of these issues have always been here and we've been silent. So yeah. so I think that that I, I, I hear you and I like I said it clarifies and I agree with you to an extent but I think that people take what you say and they say it's the the focus becomes critical theory is tearing the church yeah, apart. Yeah, and, and kind of this, I agree, and I think kind of the subject also. I know it's not intentional, but it does become really just fear of how black people are going to respond to it. Like if black people really catch hold of this stuff, and the the they bring some real issues to the table, and. They might get furious about it and then again begin to berate the, or, or, or slander or just pour out their anger on their white brethren. Then really the concern for us not putting people in a place where we are labeling them racist or having them think about they need to repent more than they have been repenting before. We don't really want to have that combo because we also we don't want to confuse these black folks into in being divisive by just shouting out anger but i do agree that a lot of what we see from the, the the those who would call themselves lovers of jesus and lovers of social justice sometimes we do see people put their christian principles on the back burner the whole idea of grace and mercy and love and patience right, absolutely and, and, and listening and long suffering and the weaker and the stronger brother all those things don't seem to matter if race is on the table now i think it's yeah. important to realize why that's such a temptation for a lot of black folks because many of them as i mean said have been trying to put this we are divided the church is almost as segregated today as it was in the 60s. Yeah. That's not the neighborhoods. Accor almost, according to data. They're, according they're, to data, yeah. Segregation across all lines, neighborhoods, churches. Neighborhood, like, that's what I was going to say. Neighborhoods, churches, still jobs. It's the same. 70% yeah. of, of our white brothers and sisters don't have an African-American friend. 
They don't know someone that they're dear dear with. I had a a friend of mine, or well, he worked for me, but so we had a working relationship. But he told me outside of seeing you at work, I have no reason to be around black people. And and yeah. I think what that does is it, as you mentioned before, the Christian worldview. I remember years back when uh, Way of the Master was popping with Ray Comfort yeah, and, and uh, Kirk Cameron, Kirk Cameron and Todd Friel and all them yeah. dudes, and. They would t- they would send us out to take people through this line of questioning. Have you ever told a lie before? Yes. What does that make you? Liar. You ever stole before? Yeah, what does that like- make you? A thief. You ever looked at a woman with lust in her heart? Adultery. Blah, 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 blah. So by your own admission, you are a lying, thieving, <laughs> yeah. blasphemous, blah, blah, yeah, blah, that blah, blah. Yeah, and, yeah. and then you, they would be like, oh, why would you say that? That's not who I am. It's like, no, that is who you are. You broke God's perfect law. That's in you. You need to repent. You need Jesus to come and do work on this pagan heart, mind, and soul that is you. And guess what? I am the, I'm in the same boat. I am also yeah. a sinner in need of the mm-hmm. grace and the gospel of Christ to begin to work through me, sanctify in me, uh, rescue me from my sin and begin to sanctify me into new life. That is our predicament. And then when we ask ourselves, do you think black person, white person, brown person, yellow person, if you, do you have racist ideas that just pop up out of nowhere towards your brothers and sisters? Yeah, I think all of us are going to have to say yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. We do. And by our Christian worldview, as far as God is concerned, if we died in that sin, God would judge us as a racist. Okay. Now, 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 bringing more context to that, there's actual real existential consequences to the fact that there is often this imperceptive bias that works in us. OK, and let me be fair. I'm a part of a of a, a multicultural church right now that nine years ago when I got there, it was a black church. Yeah, we were a black church. It was a black church. And we were old. It was the, older. An older black <laughs> church. And the leadership, Pastor Darrell Williamson, Williamson, led the charge with biblical conviction around multi-ethnic ministry. That we are literally a black church in a Latino neighborhood right. and have no real predilection. There's nothing in there that's, that's like saying, hey, let's go reach this city that's in, in our front door. No, we're going to just re- meet in our one cultured, one race thing at the detriment of those who are around us. Our pastor said, may that not be our church. So right. when he became the lead pastor around the time I got there, they prayed, fasted, and worked in the community to bring a black church into a multi-ethnic church. And by not and now, by, by, by God's grace, nine years later, that's who we are. Yeah. White, black, yeah. Asian, Pacific Island. It's all there. And what I'm saying is the same kinds of sins that exist in our brothers and sisters of European descent exist in those of, of African descent. It's the same kind of sin, but it shows itself differently in a racialized society. And for yeah. those who find themselves on the outside of resource, power, things like that, when that racialization works works, works itself out, it becomes a great os- obstacle for the gospel's ministry in the city. When urban urban uh, church plants can't get money from the, the 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 they can't get money from funds to do missions work in their city, or or if uh, but when yeah. 
And the suburban that's church. That's a massive problem right there. I'm a, I'm a missions, and suburban church we've, we've, we've seen that. Yeah, I'm a missions major. I watch this. Like, and, 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 you know, we, we do watch, case we, studies. We, I'm like, yeah. yo, if, if you want to go to Papua New Guinea, we'll give you some money for that. But no one's going to support you to, to let you, you can feed those poor people, but you can't, we're not going to give you money to help you plant a church for those poor people. And, and we see that happen. And that's an obstacle for the gospel. We also see the fact that God made all of us in his image, black pastors and white pastors. Yet statistically, what we see is that white people will not submit to black pastors, yeah. by and large. By, well, by, by and large. Yeah. There are exceptions. You know, Crawford Loritz, there, there are, are some exceptions that. The, the but I've also seen churches where, where, where white churches had to merge with black churches in every single yes, white Yes, that's what we saw happen in, in Jacksonville. In I won't even, church, we won't even say. It was but a there, mass exodus. There's a church in Jacksonville where there was this... Uh, this this uh this merging of a, a, a thriving black church merging with a dying white church and that church got in there everybody from the white church left and said they would not lead they would not be led by black leadership that same thing happened in a, a city outside of Ferguson in, in St. Louis and I had a concert there some years back and this pastor was telling telling uh telling me massive uh church mostly white people they had some black folks there too when uh uh the racial racial unrest was happening around St. Louis they in the church didn't take it didn't even like say Mike Brown was in was was innocent they didn't even say they just said guys we got to think about some of our problems just the audacity of bringing that before the church caused the church to split down the middle these mm -hmm. kinds of things are the in my estimation the real threats to our community right and and and, and if I could talk I'm not just trying to use anecdotes and I'm not trying to overwhelm Neil but I'm just saying that that it's a real outworking of these things. A church that I also know that is local, white reform, majority white reform church who has some black members there. Um, and this church is trying to do a lot of great work around ra racial reconciliation. Even when they had Pastor Daryl come and speak, yeah. there were black people in the congregation that were emotional because they were like, we feel seen. He's actually yeah. coming and advocating for the ways that we feel seen. And now the church is being split because white members are telling the other white leadership, you guys are just talking about too much critical race theory and Marxism. So when we look at people talking about us being the ones splitting the church in half, we're saying... We see, we are seeing not, a, not that that's what he's saying. Yeah, not that's what you're saying, but I'm saying <laughs> we're, we're, we're seeing what is splitting the church in half is there are some folks who are really being uh, faithful to the status quo. And we see that in large, I'm talking about in large ways, even in some of the debates that we're having around critical theory. That's, that, that's, it's, it's even one of the reasons why they keep calling us these things. When, when that, that's so for me, when I look at the history of, of how this has happened in America, I, I agree with you. Like what you said, all of us have, have these racial biases. All of us are sinners. All of us have to say, I am guilty of that. But the way in which that's worked itself out in society that is socially constructed, and it's socially constructed around minorities and majority and people that have power and people who don't have power, it works. It has so many different consequences for people of it color. Does, yeah. and, 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 and I think that that's what we don't appreciate in this discussion around racial reconciliation and critical theory is that I think that one of the things that has opened us up to this is the fact that the church, by and large, the American church throughout history has never had a very solid 
social ethic around issues of race. Yeah. And we can look from era to era to era to era to era of those in the church who are always trying to push through a solid social ethic around racial issues, a biblical ethic around racial issues, have always been the minority, and the majority has always shut the minority out, right? And I think about it, we, we could talk about it, it's, its inception with the colonies, we could talk about, uh, we, we could talk about even things during the Great Awakening, Great yeah. Awakening happened big, we, yeah. we learned about that in church history, we learned about awesome revival it was this amazing revival even when you talk about first second amazing revival did not revive how we saw race in america not even right? close and then and, and then and then those who tried to do it got shot got shut down same thing what we're talking about civil war even if we read uh when you read the joint from mark Knoll, civil war is a theological crisis you see how much of a, of a theological crisis was happening around the civil war and those who were saying hey this this diabolical evil institution of slavery is wrong we need to do something about this we need to have a biblical social ethic about this and those who fought to maintain it right yeah um even by saying you we should just focus By on saying we should just preach the gospel yeah. right that's exactly yeah. what they said even right. even before that even in antebellum south you had pastors that that were as as abolitionists were talking about this they just said hey you need to just shut up literally one member said i have to cite it later he just literally told his pastor to shut up stop talking about slavery and preach the gospel mm. but but then even after that during jim even during jim crow or even when you get reconstruction but then when you get through jim to jim crow even when you had cats like martin luther king all of that the cats was being co called communist folks were calling him a marxist he was constantly saying that he wasn't same thing with people in the civil rights civil rights uh uh movement then when you get to schools being integrated you had christian schools that actually formed out of a response to integration right right what a lot mm -hmm. of the christian schools responded they literally got together and bought together their christians their institution out of a response of not wanting their children to integrate in so, this lifetime in this in, lifetime, in this lifetime. And, and, and base yeah. Bayshore christian even here that yeah. was their legacy College of Florida, where i graduated from right yeah. so so when we talk about these things historically we have always seen that those who fought to have this biblical ethic pushed through society have been shouted down. They've been called Marxists. They've been called communists. They've been called leftists. They've been called all these things. Even when we were talking about Little Rock Nine, you see the people outside saying race mixing is communism. All like we've always we've wedded our Christianity to not only political tribalism, but we we've wedded to what it means to be American, Americanism, and how that actually integrates with the construct of whiteness in this country. And as people have always tried to break that. To have a biblical ethic, they have always been hammered down. Yeah. And what I am saying is I believe that that is a huge problem in the church that people don't touch. Don't see, and in yeah. every society, we have people focusing on more things, focusing on, oh, you're a communist, oh, you're a Marxist, oh, you're a critical theory. Not that it shouldn't be focused on, but yeah, there is a there's a larger undercurrent of what has been actually maintaining the status quo and caused this type of shutdown when black people try to talk about these things that is never touched. And that's what me and you have talked about on Twitter. And that's why I, I, I've said, yo, you don't under, I, I don't know if you understand that a lot of people that weaponize your stuff are weaponizing it out of the very thing that I just talked about. And, 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 and that never gets touched, but critical theory gets touched. And I think that one of the ways that we have actually allowed these things to pull people away is when we leave, when we punt the issue of the biblical social ethic of race to the to the Marxists, to the liberals, to the leftists, then we leave the hole for them to form a social, 
uh, 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 theory and construct and understanding to race, and then we leave room for them to take the reins of the conversation right. and run what they run with and do what they will as it within culture, and then we get mad that they're doing it. Right, so right. we punt the ball to the liberals and the Marxists, and then when the liberal Marxists catch the ball and are running a touchdown, we get mad at them and point out how they're running a touchdown, and we're mad that they're running with the ball, but we've punted it throughout history. And then and so when you have Christians that are yeah, trying to address too. that, I think that. It just gets shouted down, and then we kind of can start focusing on yeah. some of the issues that I think are not as, not necessarily not as pertinent. But we start saying that these issues are tearing the church apart right. without recognizing this the issue that's been tearing the church apart since its inception in yeah. America. Yeah, yeah, and we don't we don't really touch it. Yeah, I do want to say that one of the things that I really appreciate about Neil is if you listen to his talks, there, in my opinion, um, I feel yeah. like the talks that I've heard have given a much wider vision of where he is on these issues. Absolutely. And I love that he would probably underwrite most of everything we just said. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I, Neil, I want to speak for you. Can, you can come in and, and say something uh, yourself. But um, I do, once you respond to what you've heard, I want you to answer for us, why does it seem like through church history, the gospel, as understood as the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ— and people trusting in that. Why has that alone not been enough to end racism? You love Charles Spurgeon. Do. So do I. My he's, name. He's, this guy's the biggest my, Spurgeon, Spurgeonator. Yeah, 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 I love yeah, yeah. Spurgeon, but I he's got like, two of my favorite. Well, three yeah, of my favorites, right? There's three Spurgeon too. books. Lecture to my students. Um, but I named my son Spurgeon. Spurgeon meant so much to me. I got to love Spurgeon because he was a man that from that era who stood the test of time. He was like, this dude was on the right side of history while it was happening. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? At the point people in the South started burning his books when he talked. Yeah, he yeah and then banned him from America and all that stuff for a while. So anyways, I feel like this is the conflict I live with, Neil, is that I'm constantly having to love people past their racism. That's what it means to be a black Christian in America, especially a black reformed Christian. Um, and one of the ways I deal with that is the fact that I'm a sinner. And right. I have all kind right. of racist. I was telling my wife about a racist thought I had about another black person. I was in the hood the other day, had this thing that I, I felt this kind of fear towards this guy for no reason outside of I've been socialized to see black men, especially black men with dreads like me, which is crazy, <laughs> as a threat. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? You got to catch that in myself and say, no, I repent, Lord Jesus. That's an image bearer. I have to train. Jesus has to train me to see image bearers before I see people according to the fake, false, racial category America has given to me. Right. Okay? I'm getting way off what my question was. <laughs> Why hasn't, as you say, we, th th it's only the gospel that can do the work. Well, those who had the gospel and preached it more accurately and more frequently than you and I. And that gospel did not affect the racism. In fact, a lot of times they use that gospel to perpetuate that racism. Why, Neil? So one thing I want to say, wait, back to Amin's questions about what's tearing the truth apart. I, what I would say is critical race theory uh, will tear the truth apart and so will racism. So they, mm -hmm. it's not either or, right? They, they, can, they can and will both do it. Right. So I, I actually guess, I agree with that. Amen. I yeah. just think that other people don't acknowledge that. They just acknowledge yeah, no, critical I, race I'm theory. I'm totally behind that. So and I, <laughs> I that's again that's why if you look at my talks and my, my right. social media Twitter feed, 
I, 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 it's, I, I mainly quote from books I'm reading. Right. All critical race theory. And so it's, when I find a book that I like, like I really liked uh, Brian Stevenson's Just Mercy. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. I was right. so happy because I was like, finally, I can praise a book. So I, <laughs> I tweeted out like for like two weeks. I was like, this book is so good. It's so good. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to try to read. I'm going to read out uh, Wilkerson's Warmth of Other Sons, I think. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Good joint. Benjamin Watson's Under Our Skin. I'm try, I'm just I'm just trying to find books that I hope I, I, I can't know in advance, but I'm trying to find other <laughs> books to balance out my feed because right. I do feel like I'm this Debbie Downer because I'm reading nothing but, you know. Well, so and, and, and they go to you for that. They're like, our man, if we had if we had guns in this argument about this culture war, Neil Shinvey is the 12-gauge shotgun. I'm telling you, man. But you are doing good. But I mean, you're doing good, you're good, doing work. good work. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I, but I, like I, I do, but I, you see my talks, and I also always make it clear that I want dialogue. Right. Dialogue, you dialogue. You do say that, and yeah. So, when people ask me, I get lots of emails and you, you see one side, you see, you know, these church splits and you see racism. And I, I just, I have to be honest, my lived experiences, you know, and okay, I'm only half Indian. So I'm kind of stuck in the middle or somewhere <laughs> here, but, but I, I have not the Christians that I have known personally. I've been a Christian for 20 years. I've been in conservative churches and they're the most loving, kind, gentle people that I've ever known. You know, we have very multiracial. I went to a church in Berkeley, California, mm-hmm. a church in New Haven, Connecticut, a church in Raleigh, Durham, and we had very, you know, racially mixed congregations. Um, and, and so, so I, and that's not my experience that I don't see a lot of racism in our, I just don't, I haven't seen that, but I'm not denying it's there. Right. <laughs> clearly, right. I have three churches I've been a member of, right? So, you know, what, how many million, are there a million, two million in the U.S.? So I'm right, just saying, right. I always would say, say that they're both sin they're both wrong amen and but every church should wrestle with their own context because we don't know what a given church might be wrestling with right so i I want to i don't want to extrapolate from my lived experience to everybody else's i can't know that right um that was that was a means basic question amen Uh, and and, sorry when i always tell my followers people who email me they people ask me is this critical race theory they'll send me some document and i always say that's not the question to ask. Oh. The question to ask is, is this true? And two, is this biblical? Mm. Uh-huh. Because if it's not true and it's not biblical, I don't care where it comes from. It's not true and it's not biblical. And if it is true and biblical, then who cares where it comes from? So that's the question to ask. If you can't put your finger on something and say, that doesn't, that's not scriptural, you can't do that, then I would give it a pass, Right. However, it's important to understand that there are these larger, once you say, well, this is false, right? then you have to ask, well, where's it coming from? It's relevant. It's like the same way if you hear your pastor say, if you give me $10 of seed money, God will multiply it, right? <laughs> A hundred times. If you, if you hear them say that, it's worth saying, well, that's unbiblical, right? But you still talk about the prosperity gospel because that's where it's coming from. And it'd be naive to say, well, I don't know. Maybe I don't know where they got that. Well, yes, you do. They got it from all these preachers who are teaching this. So that's why I always say number one question is, is it true biblical? But we have to be aware of the context we're living in in order to know where these bad ideas come from. So that's, but I always go back to scripture. If you cannot show it to me in scripture, then, you know, you have to be able to point to something that says that's not true and don't otherwise, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, KB, you asked, why didn't the gospel change hearts? I'm going to go back to my man Spurgeon. Okay. There's a sermon he wrote. I, I think it was actually even about, it really mentioned slavery. And he said, 
I, I can't quote him word for word, but he basically said, you know, we have no idea of the depth of humanity's depravity. He said, redeemed man is still in his infancy. And there will be things that we look back on. And he, he's preaching back in the 19th century. There'll be things we look back on that we're doing now without a second thought that we'll look back from the future and say, how could believers who had the scriptures mm -hmm. have done those things? Message. He gave the example of slavery, I think. I'm not sure about this, but he said, look at these great, these titans like Whitfield and Edwards who are so blinded by their sin, right? Right. That they didn't see this as an evil institution. Or Edwards actually did, but he, you know, he, you know, you know the you know, story of Edwards, right? But so I know I'm not gonna rehash it, but he realized it was bad, but he's like, but these other people are hypocrites because they're trading in with the slave dealers, but they're, they're okay with that. So mm. it was, and his son became an abolitionist. So right, right. there was tension there. But the point is Spurgeon said, guys, when you, when you begin to see that even the most, these godly men and women who love Jesus and preach the gospel, when you begin to see they were guilty of the most heinous sin, you begin to realize why Jesus had to die. Amen. You know, so, and we, and then there's the real danger. Obviously, one thing I want to say is he's not talking about the right side of history in the sense that progressives do, because right. the right side of history is God's side. Right. We right. have the Bible. Right. We know what's true. But his point was not that, oh, you know, the Bible is going to get bigger. And no, no. His point was we are blinded and deceived by our sin. And it's so deep in our hearts that we can't even always know when we're doing it. And, but here's this thing. That should not exalt us. That should humble us, like Amen. KB said. Because I, I think about this. I, we look down and we're like, oh, my gosh, how could Whitfield have, have you know, uh, condoned in, in, in a slavery? And, I, man, could you imagine if Whitfield saw me today and were like, he's doing what now? Like all the world, all the things that they would, the Puritans would have said, like, that's pure worldliness. How could he be a believer when he's playing video games and right, right. You know, Wearing as pants with zippers. Now, you know, I, <laughs> you know, you know the controversy, right? In the Spurgeon side, but the point is that I'm not saying obviously that you shouldn't wear zippers. Right, right. I know what you're saying. But my point is, don't get proud. Don't get proud. Get humble, because you are doing things right now that are not necessarily, but could be as wicked as slavery. And you look down your noses at these people that love Jesus in the past. So what does Jesus say? You know. And this is the, the true context. Judge not just lest you be judged, right? Because if you are so harsh on them for their blindnesses, right. God's going to be harsh on you. Right. Um, and But knowing that God has chosen to be gentle with us is what should make us then gentle towards other fellow sinners. So the answer is briefly just sin. The answer, how could they preach the gospel so clearly and yet have this incredible sin in their lives? How do we... I turn it back on us and say, like Jesus says, what about you? What Don't come to me talking about them, them and their sin. Ask yourself, how can you preach a gospel so glorious and yet harbor sin in your hearts? Then would you agree then, Neil, that it's probably inappropriate to answer your brothers and sisters who are talking about racial injustice in the society and saying, really, the gospel is just the answer? Yeah, no, no, I think it's right. You don't say the gospel. Wait, sorry. I would say the gospel is the answer to all sin, right? But it's not an excuse to avoid talking about other issues. The, you know, the example I always give with conservatives is abortion. It's so, so easy because, and I you know to be honest, I haven't, I haven't ever heard, and I talked to super conservative people. Right. I think I saw one Twitter follower, one, I mean, I like 11,000, one yeah. Twitter follower one time said, 
yeah, we shouldn't be so worried about abortion. But everybody else was like, when I say, look, abortion is a systemic injustice. It's embedded in the way we think. It's embedded in our ideologies. It's deep in there. You talk to a progressive, they'll be like, oh, of course, it's just it's reproductive justice. It's so natural to them. And and it's part, it's funded by the government, it's making money. It's so that when you want to convince people that systemic justice, injustice is a category, and it's biblical to think about how we can not just change hearts, but also change laws, use abortion. So now I'm be clear, I'm not saying that abortion and all so that you can get systemic injustice wrong. So if, just because someone claims it's injustice doesn't mean it is. But on the other hand, to write it off as a category is equally wrong. But this is why I say dialogue is so important. True. When someone comes to you and says, so here's a simple example. And then you'll agree with this one. When someone says to you, there is systemic injustice in the police force, and you're like, okay, well, show me the evidence. But then you're like, therefore, we should abolish the police. You're like, whoa, slow down. Hold and up. then you're like, and if you don't agree to abolish the police, you're a racist. You're like, oh, wait, hold on now. <laughs> wait, wait, so, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold the play, phone yeah, now. Hold the phone. Let's back up. So, <laughs> what, what I want us to do is, and I, you've heard my talks, you know that I am all about theology first. Let's get our theology sorted out, our categories right, and then let's talk about it. And then all of these other things about what we're going to do, policy, law, even church discussions, those are going to go downstream from getting our theology on straight. So in my talks, I'm always like, look, I cannot tell you. And even George Yancey, he's not going to tell you how to, here's five steps to fix race in your church or in society. He's going to, I'm going to say, get our theology straight, number one. And then number two, be willing to dialogue across difference. Amen. Be willing to pull your brothers aside, pull your white brother aside, pull your black brother aside, go have coffee with them. Say, and here's the thing. Say, open your heart to me. Tell me what you're thinking. And then just listen. Then just listen. Take, take a whole day, take a whole week, whatever day, just listen. Now, I'm not saying just listen forever. <laughs> you yeah, gotta, yeah. You of course. Yeah. Sound like Roger's talking like D'Angelo right now, man. Well, not only because she say just listen, but also she be totally one-sided. Like white people, you just listen. Right, right, and right. you only listen forever. And what I'm saying is that everybody should be slow to speak, quick to listen. Amen. And, but, and then we all are called eventually to then to speak. Uh, and to speak biblically. So, but again, those are the two solutions I would have. I love it. I love it. And one other thing you did say, KB, I'm going to push you a little bit here. And I know yeah. at the very end, so I'm going to get my, and I, so I'm like, <laughs> oh, no, we'll stand, we'll stand I, I, this for another three hours, man. I'm ready. I, I love no, it. Man, go ahead. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, when you, I forget what you said exactly, but you talked about how there cannot be reconciliation unless there is repentance and maybe restitution and we can't get past, we cannot get us to reconciliation until we get those things first. No, yeah. confession. I think, that, yeah, I think that he was confession, saying confession. Yeah. Unless somebody agree, you can't get to repentance unless they can agree that I've sinned. Yeah. And I'm yeah, pulling that from First John. I'm pulling that from First John. Literally says uh, in the Greek, say the same as to agree yes. with God about your sin or you will not receive the cleansing. For forgiveness. Yeah. But here's the thing here. Uh, when it comes to reconciliation, actual reconciliation, that the way that phrase is used in the Bible and then its ways understood today. In the Bible, we see two kinds of reconciliation primarily. The first is that we're reconciled to God, mm -hmm. right? Right. 
it's, it's, it's all over the place. The like Ephesians 2, uh, <laughs> Colossians 1, I think. I have all the verses in this. I wrote an article recently. <laughs> but but it's all the God. And then Paul immediately says, and because of that, the dividing wall of hostility is broken down now. So reconciled to God and, there, and therefore re- positionally reconciled to all other Christians, period. Mm. Once and for all, forever. So that reconciliation is accomplished once and for all on the cross, never to be repeated. And, and, and okay, so that's one kind of reconciliation. The other kind is when someone sins against you, when your brother sins against you, go to them and, and, and confront them. And then if they confess and repent, and they're you're restored. Okay, that's reconciliation. You re- restore two parties that are alienated because of one sin. Mm-hmm. But and then and then so I agree that can't happen if one party has sinned and refuses to admit it and confess and repent. Right. And of course, you can you, know, you can be forbearing. You can say you know if, if my wife is mean to me, I'm not going to be like, look, we can't be married until you can make this right. <laughs> you right. know, I, you know it's okay. You know, I I will forbear. I'll cover over that sin. It's not a big deal. Um. But, you know, it's a, if it's a real sin, a major issue that harms a relationship, yeah, there needs to be repentance and reconciliation. But here's the thing. A white person and a black person do not need to be reconciled because of their race. They don't, merely because of their race. If there is real sin in time and space, then yes, they have to be reconciled. But merely a white and black person do not have to be reconciled in, in the biblical sense, merely because of their race. Uh, and so... Now think about that. If you don't, if you believe, no, 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 there, there is a sense in which they have to be because of their race. Well, what would that mean again for the church? Because it would mean like, what about a white wife and her black husband? Do they have to be reconciled? No, they don't have to be reconciled. What about me and a black friend or my wife who's white and her black friends? Do they have to be reconciled. Is there an alienation there because she's white? No, there's not. Now, if she sins against them, then there has to be reconciliation. But the bare fact of their races don't, entail reconciliation yeah but 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 neil are, are you assuming that races are not alienated alienated in this country go ahead ah, so here's that wait, go so ahead. here's the thing so what and we is that mean a hair tie usually, in your hand what's that is no, that a hair tie that's a core. scrunchie i'm oh, sorry nice. my, my, my you got a ponytail are, behind that behind uh, that headphone <laughs> I, I got two daughters now uh, i got dudes uh, lying uh, around everywhere they're like got hair brushes and like here's the thing here's the thing I got, I got like a peacock feather here. And you, got, you got a nine-year-old girl and a seven-year-old girl and a girl and a half. Yeah. Anyway, when you say, well, our racial race is alienated, I think, and then do they need to be reconciled in that sense? What I say in one of my articles recently with Pat is that when we talk about racial reconciliation, what we're, we're not thinking about being reconciled in Christ because we are. Right. Right. And that's, the, that's basic theology. You cannot be like, me, me and you need to be reconciled because, no, are you Christian? Then you're reconciled, period. Then it went, well, have I sinned against you? Well, no, not that I know. I don't even know you. And so I, I can't assume that, oh, you're white, I'm black, or you're black and I'm white. Therefore, we need to, well, no, I can't assume that either because what have you done to me, right? However, what you mean, I think, is don't you agree there's a lot of mistrust and alienation? Sure. So the example that we give in our paper is after the Rwandan genocide, uh, was it, is it reasonable to talk about Hutu and Tutsis being reconciled as groups? Of course it doesn't. It makes sense because there's a lot of hostility and, and fear and, and legitimate anxiety, right? But if you see one Hutu and one Tutsi together, uh, I can see there's tension there, but they have, to, they have to both say, if we're both believers, we have to say, hey, in Christ, this hurt can be healed. I can learn to love each other. And, if, and so I can, on the one hand, you can say, there needs to be real 
dialogue and conversation. And they need to, we need to realize that the pain is real and legitimate. And yet I can't argue that like we are alienated just because he's a Hutu and I'm a Tutsi, right? So we'd be very careful how to parse these categories. So what I would say is that, and here's the, and here's the, the cool thing about defining it in terms of mistrust, like maybe you're white and I'm black and we mistrust each other. We probably, maybe I'm not saying we probably do, but we might, okay? The good thing about defining reconciliation in terms of getting rid of mistrust, mutual mistrust is this, it's everyone's job now. So if I say I'm a, uh, you know, okay, I hate because I'm half Indian, okay, <laughs> yeah, we're white. Let's say that I'm white. I'm like, hey, I have nothing against black people. And I have my, let's say my, my wife black. I'm white, my wife's black. I have no need to reconcile with her. And it, because of that, hey, I'm off the hook. I can, you can, you guys, you guys sort this out because I don't need a reconciliation because I have a, a black wife or whatever. No, actually, no. What I'm saying is if we're, we're thinking about mutual mistrust between groups, it's everyone's job to promote unity. First Corinthians 13, right? All of us are called to edify the body. When one part suffers, we all suffer. And so we should approach this conversation not saying that's on you all. You all have problems, but I'm out of this. We should say we're all called to edify the body. And if there are groups that are experiencing mistrust or even and even there's sin involved, then we do have to say, how can we facilitate that? So no one can 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 cop out and say, hey, this is this is about you guys. You do your thing. I'm going to be on the sidelines. We're all called to work for the unity of the body, and that includes unity across race. Mm-hmm. But is that better? What I'm saying is, we have to be careful not to muddy these categories because otherwise, like I said, you can get the situation where you're like, "Oh, dude, he's black and I'm white." Man, I saw the the cringiest video. It was so well-meaning, but it was so cringe. This youth pastor was, in light of George Floyd's killing, was like. He's like, he's a white guy who's like, I'm just here, guys. You know, he was being very cool. He's like, bros, I'm just here. I'm going to challenge you, bros. Next time you white people, when you see a black person in the street, I want you to bow down to them. And he had a hashtag. His hashtag was vow to bow. He's like, just bow down to show them that they are beloved. And I was like, Dude, they're gonna be so embarrassed. Yeah, I, I, it's way weird. too far. Get, please and, stand and it's, up. And, and you're, and you're doing something that Ronald, we don't want. Stand now. <laughs> Brian, get on bro, your bro, feet. Please stop. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. So no, my, but my, I've my, seen my, those. I've seen those videos, and I've seen watch yeah. black people's feet. Who the you know uh, kiss black people's feet? Oh uh, yeah, stuff I, like I that. mean I've seen that's it's, yeah. I go go ahead and finish your point. Go ahead, Neil. Sorry. My only point is that he was obviously well intentioned, but. I don't want us to think that like, again, the way we're, the way we're thinking, we're thinking you're black, I'm white. Therefore there's some hostility that needs to be reconciled. Well, that's actually reifying racism because you're, you're acting as if these are like, because I'm white, I've sinned against you. And because you're black, you are angry with me. That's no, that's not true at all. We're in, we're, if we're both Christians, the default should be, we are reconciled. Now, if there's a reason to think we're not, okay, let's talk about that. And then, and I want to make clear, I'm not saying, therefore, all this race talk is garbage. No, right. I'm saying sure. there is mistrust, and we should work against that. But we have to start from, what do we ground that? We start from our unity in Christ. We are reconciled. We start from saying, I assume the best of other Christians. And then let's all work together to do things like 
talk about race in the church, talk about how we can, you know, identify our own biases. There may be still have to repent of it. I just want to respond to, to to what you said real quick, and um, and we're trying to be respectful of your time, brother, because we've been talking for a long time. I do think that you could say everything you said in terms of so- the solution. I think you could have said all of that without saying, starting with, uh, races don't need to reconcile within the the body of Christ, um, because I theologically, and we might just be somewhere different theologically. Theologically, I see reconciliation working in the same construct as uh, being seated with Christ at the right hand uh, of God, of being in Jesus right now. Um, that there is an already and a not yet version. There's an already fact that we are reconciled, is done, put away, let's move on. But there's also 2 Corinthians 5, that God is also yeah. reconciling. It's the ministry of reconciliation. So there's, there's, there's a process of reconciliation that is absolutely packed with Paul's theology around sanctification, repentance, mm-hmm. restitution. Uh, I think that go- actually is not a different, in my opinion, I think that's a different reconciliation from what John talks about and, uh, uh, when, he, when he speaks about um, when a brother sins, or excuse me, what Matthew talks about, when you, a brother sins against you, if he repents, forgive that man. Um, yeah. And I think that what, what, what Matthew is getting back to is the not yet dimensions of reconciliation, that in the not yeah. yet dimensions of reconciliation, you and I are constantly having to confess and bring our sin to the table so that we can be working towards the unity of Christ. I think most of what Pauline theology is uh, centered on is giving all these indicatives to help us continue to work towards unity because that unity is not default in a in a real horizontal sense. It's actually that which we are fighting, working, and grabbing hold of through the work of the Spirit. Uh, The only default dimension of our reconciliation has not been realized yet, even though it is truly mine right now. That's kind of how I would see that theologically. So when you go to 1 Peter and you see Jews and Gentiles having to have these moments where Paul is recognizing their groups and saying, you are tripping. You can't act like this, Peter, with uh, you can't act like this when you these these uh, Jews from James come around where you don't want to eat. You don't want to eat shrimp anymore or crab or whatever. And you're making these other believers feel ostracized. He's dealing with a need over a not a racial category because race didn't exist in Scripture as it does today. But over an ethnic category, Paul is using that language to show how they are divided and how the gospel breaks down that barrier barrier and how they move forward when he rebukes Peter to his face. So in, in, as far and I think the, the Hutu and the Tutsi, Tutsi um, example is, a, is, a, is a, very, a very good one because that's exactly what you see happen in, in Rwanda is there it was a war that was based on people's group. Same skin color, same skin color, but it's yeah. the same principle. That the principle here just plays itself out in a racialized sense. And what I think is helpful in this conversation. Because I think at the bottom of what you're doing is, what you're saying, and what it seems like to me, is that you want white people to know that they don't have to repent because they're white. And you also don't want black people to think that they have nothing to repent of because they're black. We're, we're, we're in Colossians right now. In Colossians 3. Colossians 3? I was going to make sure Colossians 3. That literally is, Paul is telling the slave... Remember, you're going to be judged by God, too. 
So yeah. there is absolutely a responsibility for everybody on the spectrum, no matter where you where you uh, where you fall. So I think that's what you're at the bottom of what you're saying is white people don't feel like you have to assume guilt that isn't really there. Black people don't think that you are free and clear to do whatever you want because of your black because you're black. I think there's some merit to that, but I still feel like it falls short to, of the actual problem because the actual problem that we're dealing with is where there are real divisions. You may be able to point to exceptions and talking to some white dude who lives in Seattle who runs into me in the airport and he's bowing to me. I don't know. You get up, bro. I don't need <laughs> right, that. Right. But what I can point to is the ways that we have systemically in terms of how we form our companies and how we partner in our organizations and where our monies go to in terms of our mission efforts as a church, the landscape of our church. Your church isn't accidentally white all the time. In yeah, fact, in most yeah. cases, it's riding the back of something else. COVID-19, for example, is literally 2.5 times more likely to infect a person of color than a white person. Now, people heard that and were like, oh, my goodness, even the virus is racist. <laughs> But that's a misunderstanding right. of the problem. Because it's not about trying to, to, to parse through who gets categorized. We're talking about there's a disparate impact that is riding on the back of a racialized society in Pinellas Park, who has a strong, Pinellas Park is the city, is the region where, of St. Petersburg, where there's this strong history of redlining. And then what redlining does is then sparse out the resources. And the white folks are on one side of the, we're super segregated in Pinellas Park. White folks are on one one side of the track enjoying the resources and the health benefits and enjoying the yeah. opportunities and black people on the other side completely outside of it so when the virus hits they say if it's a cold for white folks it's influenza for black folks that's been a saying that's been said for years here we see that being exacted again that is happening because there is actually a lack of reconciliation between the two and what I'm not saying that you need to go and fill out that your grand great grandfather owned slaves. That's not that at all. But is there for the Christian a responsibility to look at what is hurting my neighbor? And if what is hurting my neighbor is being caused by societal ills that I can influence, does God not hold me responsible for wielding the good or wielding my power and influence for the sake of reducing the suffering in my in my neighbor? That's the kind of reconciliation we're talking about. Some of it is as simple as you just said, listening, because that is actually a, a, a freaking commodity in the church. It's, it's, oh, yeah. it's a rarity that it I can. When I say listen, I mean it. I believe you and not go to Neil, go, go uh, trunk, get a truncated vision of, of Neil Shinvi's theology and say that critical race theory just wants you to believe everybody's story and everyone's individual thing or whatever. And now it's like, well, this was my experience and that was his experience. That was his experience. Now we got 30 people. Is that enough for you to think it's, it's real? No, that's just y'all 30. Okay, let me find 60 mm -hmm. more people. Now right. it's 90 of us. We all say mm -hmm. we're experiencing. Is that enough? No, that's just your individual things. Critical race theory wants us to think that. Okay, let's go to 150, so on and so forth. You don't, you're not listening. Because you don't believe me. <laughs> right. So I, I, that is what we want to have is that the listening ear and to believe the best about your neighbor. It's not just black people believing the best thing about white people, which I think is good. And I want to say that most of the black Christians that I know are doing very, very good with that. But I see a need for us to believe the best that my neighbor's not lying to me about their situation and the disparities and the divisions that exist between the, the blacks and whites in the body of Christ are real right and those divisions come down 
or the reconciliation is achieved through a myriad of things. But at the top of that, listening and believing what you're hearing from your other spirit filled brothers and sisters in Christ. So I think that's how I would rationalize. And I, I, I found what you said about reconciliation very helpful. I did. I just felt like the beginning part of it was unnecessary. To, it, it, I guess for your context, maybe it's necessary. I didn't find it helpful for my context because it seemed to miss the issue. You know, we're, we're, the, the, the issue that we're dealing with are the demonstrable divisions. That's what needs right. to be, we need to bring reconciliation to. Right. Yeah. I think that the reconciliation is, like you said, the, the, the divisions that already exist. And, and if, and we can, we can talk about, uh, the reconciliation that we have with Christ, which is, which is a fact. And, and then the already not yet piece of it, but there are reconciliation, there are, there are issues of reconciliation that needs to exist because division exists. But as we talk about the divisions, the divisions that that exist just get chucked up, of course, again, as critical race theory or as, see, this is just you dividing. I, I mean, I think that like what happens is that they take, again, a lot of people, I, I, I love you, Neil, and I think that you do good work. I don't think, though, that you understand the way that people really do weaponize your and, and stuff. And hurt us. They, hurt, they, we're they trying could, to do ministry. Right, they're hurting like, us. Like, and, and, and that is one of the, that is one of the, and, and I think that you do a good job, like, when you Especially say, talks. when you say, hey, man, like, yeah, your talk's great. I think that even in your articles, you say, look, you, you, you've said it. Don't, you, first of all, don't use stuff like cultural Marxism. Don't be impolite. Don't be a jerk. Don't like, I think that you say that stuff and, and people read your stuff and they do it anyway. There, there is some respect. There is some aspect that Neil Shinvey has absolutely no control over what people do with your <laughs> exactly. stuff. Exactly. And mm -hmm. you can't chase down every fire, like of what people do, what, do, do, do with your, uh, your articles and stuff. But I, I would say, and this is what I think I've said to you on Twitter before, that there is some type of responsibility you know, that you do have, Neil. That when you see people use your stuff to do stuff that you don't necessarily agree with, even if they are addressing a problem that you think that you're addressing, if it's a popular pastor that's addressing why he thinks critical theory is a threat to even the, the church, but he still uses your stuff to kill dialogue on it. Or if if other pastors do, there are people that me and you know, Neil Shinvey. That have used Say your Neil stuff. Whole name. Say I'm just whole saying. Name. No, I'm just saying that have, used, that have used your stuff to silence other very popular black pastors that me and you know. And what I say is, where is Neil? Shit. Like, like in my mind, I say, where's Neil? Why is Neil not coming out and saying, "Yo, you can't do that"? Like, I understand that me and you may agree about the threat of this thing, but the way in which you weaponize this. You can't do it. That's that. That was. I mean, of course, not trying to get into the weeds, but that was one of the things that I was saying about the thing about Eric Metaxas. Oh, when I was like, "Yo, Neil, where are you?" Uh, what, like uh, about this, and you were like, "Well, I figured he mentioned this," and I was like, "Isn't that anachronistic?" Yeah, it is anachronistic. Why aren't you saying that? He was Why, believing like, the like, best he was, about him. He was he was using <laughs> your tweet to, and your stuff to then create this narrative that me and you uh, uh, agree with at some at some aspect sure. he was like wrong about how he's interpreting even how people look at whiteness and stuff and i'm yeah. like yo neil he's using your stuff like aren't you gonna clarify this this is your stuff so like when i see that that's what with, with me and you that's what kind of starts making me be like yo neil that hurts me because i feel like people use your stuff sometimes in ways that you won't even agree with but I don't know if you would if you would publicly say to them like you may publicly say about other stuff, 
yo, your reason, the way that you're going about doing this is wrong. Like, I agree with what you're doing as far as like saying that this is going to hurt the church. Uh, 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 in regards to critical theory, which I wish we talked about because I wanted to get into the tenets of what you thought about critical theory. I want us to talk about that. But I, I, some other I time. yeah, maybe some other time. But I is I was like, man, I feel like Neil sometimes doesn't come out and say, doesn't address head on the way that people may misuse some of your stuff. One of the churches that actually uh, kind of contest us. We have a church. We, there, there's a local church in our neighborhood right now that calls us a church of critical theory, and they use your articles. So, so of course you wouldn't know that. But I'm saying that kind of stuff is happening. So, and, and, so, and I'm like, I think this is good though. I think this is good to have these kind of conversations. Absolutely. And, and this is probably going to get a lot of attention because. We also need this. They they need to see us having this and right. see that yeah. we are on the same team. That there is yes, a gospel man. unity. There's unity. not like this, this. This Neil is not my enemy. Like I, I call him a friend. I he's a my friend first time and a brother. Yeah. So this is good. Well, let's let's give let's give Neil a chance to respond. We're gonna give you the last word, brother, and then we want we would like to end. So, go not you start with your response? Well, let me start with what you said about uh, the the you know, need for us to conquer division. I get it. I would affirm that. Right. And I think we actually have, I'll continue the article. I, you saw it, but yeah. we affirm that the category there is sins of omission. Oh. There's, a, there's a biblical category. People want to say, look, people need to repent for their ancestors. Sin. They're like, no, 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 not that. But that the category you're looking for is sins of omission. You didn't True. do what God called you to do. True. So if there are these, there are, existing like patchy you got to look up pat's interview with um, monique dusson and krista botrager uh-huh. he did an interview where he talks about redlining he was a former banker he talks about the legacy of uh, redlining and jim crow and how it's affecting black communities today right wow. and he talks about how he does he didn't get much chance to because it ended uh he had to run out of time but he talks about how he does justice work uh, you know in in his context yeah. um in greensburg north carolina so he anyway, so he talks about, yeah, Christians are called to do that as part of loving their neighbor. So I fully affirm all that. My only point is don't put I wouldn't put that into the category of reconciliation. I'd put that in the categories of you're being called to, to do justice as a, as a Christian, to do good to your neighbors. And in our society that has been harmed by, by racism, that looks in part like well, fighting against abortion, but also fighting against these racial divisions. So yeah. I just right. want, don't want to mix that with what I've seen people say is we can't be reconciled as black and white brothers in Christ until these things happen. I'm like, no, 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 no. We can't have that. Like you said, we are on the same team. We are brothers in Christ. That happened already. And I don't want to put, uh, you know, a, I don't want to say we can't, can't happen until this happens. That's mm-hmm. that's bad theology. The, the already the the reconciliation happened, and now we're called to together work to heal these divisions. Did you, would like, you say as a body? I'm not trying to. I'm sorry to shut you off, but would you, you say? Would you? I'm, I know, but would you say that to somebody like Frederick Douglass that would say that his slave masters who were who would who would go outside, whip them, starve yeah. them, and then go inside and and have devotional with his family, and the slaves would be watching him have yeah. a devotional with his family after he got done beating them who are also Christians, Frederick Douglass included. Right. Would you say that, would you say that to like Frederick Douglass? Like, Hey, you Frederick Douglass, you, the, the re, there's no need for reconciliation. I mean, there is a reconciliation that has always already happened between you and your brother in Christ. However, you cannot say to him that we cannot be reconciled unless he can actually deal with my mistreatment 
or or even if he's not a even if he's not somebody beating him, even if he's like a, a Edwards or somebody that's uh, that somebody that makes treat a slave or somebody that makes treat a slave well, but they're still mm. buttressing the diabolical institution of slavery. So like I may treat the slave well, like I he gets he gets to go to church, I teach him the Bible, he mm. he knows how to read, like he does not have he doesn't get beat, he doesn't get whipped, we treat him like family, yet he cannot get his freedom. If I if if, if my slave told me I want to be free, I'm going to say no if yeah. that slave says hey man there's not any kind of reconciliation that we can have unless i have freedom like right. how would you how would you how would you interpret that kind of reconciliation you know what i'm saying that's, that's a sin so the point is i said there are two kinds one right, is you that, said, that 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 once for all and the second one is if they sin against you gotcha. then they have to repent so that you know that frederick Douglass, the slave master beating him it, they they might if he's a believer if he truly was and was just then they are reconciled in one sense but he's still been sinned against. And so right. there cannot be that healing of that relationship because it's been violated. And you would by say the, the same about sin. slavery too. Like, yeah. So, so not, the point not, is not that just would a... be uh, the second category, but would not be okay. So what I couldn't do is like today, again, some random white guy, some random black guy need to be reconciled. Right. I no, see they, what you're no, saying. they don't. They're just random people. They, they, if they have not sinned against each other, then, then no, they're, I mean, maybe they have, but if they haven't, then no, they're, they are a default. If they're Christians, especially, they are reconciled already. That, that's the difference yeah. between what you just got. Um, Man, I have so many questions. That, oh, yeah. So <laughs> we'll me on social media. So here's the thing. You know my policy is to not name names. Right, of course. I try to um, I try to keep abreast of people that are uh, using my work. And actually, someone said that what you did is like, so they, they actually named a person. This guy is using your stuff to slander people. But so I, so I, was like, I didn't actually know that. Can right. you give me an example of him doing that? Right. And he couldn't. So I was like, are you sure? I mean, maybe, maybe he did it like on some other account, but he, I asked him like, give me an example. And I will correct it. Right. Right. Cause the guy was big enough that I was like, okay, yeah, give me an example. Right, I, didn't, right, right. I didn't know, honestly, um, that's so, but I, I, I but I, that's said, I know their examples you're talking about. Yeah. I, I know that. Right. But my policy, which I apply to both sides, yes. I try not to name names. And so you will also see, I keep track of like, you know, who's mentioning me. Um, or even listing my name, but I also get slandered a lot by yeah. people on the other side right. who are calling me all kinds of, I'm, I'm a racist, I'm right. enabling racist, that stuff. Right, right. But I don't comment on them either. So right. I try just because I don't want, and also the other thing too, I mean, <laughs> and you have a fair number of followers too. When you comment on something, your followers dogpile on that person, right? Or they can. And so they could, yes. oftentimes- like with, and I saw Metaxas, for example, who tweeted me and I didn't say, I just was like, I just made a statement of fact. And right. He took it, took it to the crazy land. Right. <laughs> so took it to the max. I, I, I saw he was getting racial. I'm like, and I'm not going to jump on like people have already dogpiled on him. I'm not going to add my voice to the fray. But you're, I mean, but frankly, I, I understand that. But Neil, you're the off, like you're the author. Like I understand what you're saying. Cause you said that to me, like, yeah. I'm not going to dogpile him, but I think that it's different because you are the person who he, he used your tweet. So you come in to bring clarity. I don't yeah. see that as the same as you being like some kind of random anonymous internet, Twitter dogpiler on Eric Metaxas. Y'all are, he's using, your you're the source so i feel like i feel like that's a different you know what i'm saying like with that with that one tweet what he used to me was literally like here's d'angelo speaking to the methodists right that's what i said and i go like well that's just true like i didn't i didn't i didn't from i didn't i didn't cause what happened right that was that was not on me and so i understand like i get that I, when you when you commented like i was like yeah this is this is crazy misunderstands this right so, right so, yeah, right right it's, it's a judgment call but like i said that i have also been quote tweeted by people who are then 
slandering me. True. And Pat and Pat sees it, and Pat's like, "Dude, are you seeing this?" Are you? And it's like, man, God's called us to to be peaceful and right. gentle, and to not defend ourselves and turn the other cheek. So I just my policy in general, yeah, is that I do not comment on people. Um, you know, saying good things about me, saying bad things about me uh, in general. I mean, right. I, I, in general, I'll, I'll ask, I'll ask questions and I'll maybe I'll, or I'll say like, if they say you, you said this, and I said, well, I didn't say that, but I, I try not to like call attention to either side. Um, but I'll, you know what I mean? I'll, I'll, I will try to be better about, you know, if you tell you what, if you see something, you feel free. To I got you. No, I got you. I, so, I'm just, could you, you and so me was, do that when you, when you tag me up with the taxes, I was like, yeah, this is, this is stupid. This is, right. this is, so I, I'm I'm not I'm not going to be silent. I answer questions, and so for sure. Um, I'm, but I'm not I'm not trying to hide from it. But I just you know I, I just people are all, man. It's so funny. Both sides want me to call people out. Yeah, and I'm like I'm not attacking people. I'm attacking ideas. Right. And good people can have bad ideas, and bad right. people can have good ideas. Facts. So I want to keep the focus of there. And so I I it's it's a struggle for me to know where to draw the line. But like I said. I will if you want me to speak out. I will tag me. You know. No, I'm I got. There. I got you. I, I. I just. I just wanted to say that because I think that. I mean, you're. You're. You're much more of a prolific writer than I am. I have. I'm kind of. I'm, I'm always intermittent with my stuff, but I just think that if you're going to be a public voice, then you also have a public responsibility to bring clarity at times and also to push back against some of the ways that people could be misusing your voice. You feel what I'm saying? And I think as a I mean, Christian, if you're, if you're that listening is listening to this podcast right now. I'm, I'm going to tweet it out, but do not shut down dialogue. And that's the big yeah, misuse. man, brother. The number one thing you can do to misuse my work, you use it to shut down dialogue. If you are doing that, you are doing it wrong. Amen. Mm. Amen, uh, brother. Amen. I'll, I'll tweet that out. <laughs> that's powerful. That's like, that'd be, that, I'll get that tattooed on my arm. <laughs> if you are using <laughs> this, get it in, you got to get it in Times New Roman. <laughs> the dialogue you're doing it wrong um, but yeah, i i hear you and like i you know i'll, I'll definitely yeah i i definitely hear your concerns and, and i that's why i always refer people to getting my longer talk you know people like want to look at a tweet i'm like right i have like a, a million words of writing out there on you're gonna look at a tweet i said <laughs> just look at the writing before you decide what i'm saying true very true that's good that's very that's true good. man thank you so much man thank we you, love you and yeah, uh, thank you guys man love you too. peace to you my brother yeah all right <laughs> all right god bless you